just sort of like hold back on that middle eight and and stretch it a little you know i don't think it needs to be as busy it should be more atmospheric (laughs) yeah yeah something like that oh hi Um, hello we we didn't see you there welcome to my anus no uh welcome to big damn cast my anus my anus uh i and three litres of garbage water collected over the course of two months and, and put into separate buckets. <laughs> and I'm Guillermo del Toro's monster sex fanfic that won big at this year's Oscars. Take that, Fifty Shades Lady. Oh, um, <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen. Um, everyone's favourite. Everyone's favourite Krampus. <laughs> <laughs> Finally got his dues this year as he won Best Picture and Best Director for The Shape of Water at the 90th mm. Oscars uh, ceremony. Uh, 90 is, incidentally, also the average age of the Academy member. Um, hey! <laughs> uh, yeah, so it did pretty... It sorry, was... sorry, what? <laughs> uh, pretty good, pretty good uh, year for genre movies, because uh, Get Out won original screenplay as well, so John yes, Gielden for that. Yes, it did. My um, favourite Oscars moment this year didn't even happen there. It's the pictures that floated around of the Oscars viewing party that... Um, uh, uh, his, his partner in crime, what's his name? Um, Thing Michael Key. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. King Michael Key uh, was at, and the moment Jordan Peele's like name is announced, he just like stands up and hum- like he's just whooping. Yeah, um, boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the best viral tweet about it was actually from actually from a, a friend, um, uh, London News. She tweeted and it ended up in the moment where she she basically put. Uh, <laughs> she wrote. Um, like, get friends who celebrate you behind your back the way <laughs> Key celebrates Peel. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And then uh, they, see each, they saw each other at an after party. And my... there's a photo of them, like, embracing, oh. like, it's the best day of their lives. One of my favourite so uh, moments was from the red carpet. with someone interviewing Daniel Kaluuya. <gasps> and they turn yeah. around and say, oh, is this a movie that ticks all the boxes? And you just see, you just see him sort of go... Um, mm, uh, and he's like, yeah. no, it's not ticking boxes. This is like actually about black people's experiences, and it's like, oh yes, boy. Well, so you see, you see his face drop in a way that suggests his inner monologue is, I want to say go myself, <laughs> but I'm going to be more eloquent than yeah. that. Yeah, it's, 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 and then he just is very eloquent. Yeah, he has that kind of smile, which is just like, I can't believe you just fucking said that. Yeah, like, really, <laughs> really, is that what we're doing? Um, so yeah, um, Daniel Cleen was up for best. Uh, best actor, incidentally, which of course went to Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour because he did his best acting. He did all um, the acting. He did all the acting. It was all the acting. Um, he ticked boxes. He did all the acting. Prosthetics. Yeah. Real life person. Yeah. Tragedy. So much acting. Uh, 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 playing older than he is. Um, <laughs> uh, jowls. Jowls. So much jowls. So many jowls. jowls. Were they real? Were they um, prosthetics? That's the acting. You can hey. never tell. Acting. Who else won for the acting? Uh, Francis McDormand and Sam Rockwell both won for Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. This is so odd. Because after you told me about Three Billboards, I, I, I'd read a couple of reviews that were mostly positive. Yeah. Then you told me about it and your reaction essentially was, if I remember correctly, 
Yeah, but I don't get why everyone thinks it's incredible. It's kind of blurt in X, Y, and Z. Yeah, and performance is great. But and yeah. since then, that's what I've been reading. Like, yeah. reviews that have caught up, especially UK reviews, because obviously we got it a bit after America, have also been along the lines of, yeah, this isn't his best script, and some of these, like, journeys don't go anywhere, and, yeah. and everything's wrong with X, Y, Z. And yet, there it goes, snagging the um, best actor and uh, who's the best supporting actor. Yeah, uh, best actress, best actress and best supporting actor, 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 yeah. And it's um, like, oh, wow, okay, cool, yeah. whatevs, whatevs, Trevs. Yeah. What uh, else won from our world? Um, uh, Coco got best animated. Coco got best animated. Which I was very happy is. about simply because it, it's beat the boss baby. Fucking hell, you nominate the boss baby for well, like guaranteed. You don't have to nominate that many films, you don't have to scrape the barrel. Jesus. But guaranteed that would have been like, that would have been shopped like crazy by, by the, the people behind that company. It's not very good. No. But there it was, up there for Oscar go. nomination, because this is the world we live in, and these are the uh, hands we're given. Use them, and let's start trying to make this a place worth living in. Remember me, obviously, won best song, best original song. From Coco, yeah, yeah, which was which was lovely because it is a it's a pretty good one. I was surprised that it beat uh, "This Is Me" from The Greatest Showman. This is me, simply because the world is forcing itself. I've managed to avoid The Greatest Showman so far. Everything I've heard about it has made me go, it sounds like it's kind of fun, but it's one of those movies that the more I then think about it afterwards, I'll start to hate. Lots of people seem to like it, but then the people whose opinions I respect and value the most, in terms of critics and, yeah. other, and other people, are just like, yeah, this, this kind of sucks. <laughs> it's like it's kind of shitty, actually. The best version of this is if it wasn't this story and you were just seeing this cast perform in a musical yeah. stage. <laughs> like... If it wasn't a story about a man who made his, his, his money by exploiting... Uh, the disabled and disenfranchised. Um, I think it's the thing. I don't mind there being a Hollywood bent to, to real life stories if it serves the purpose of the story you're telling. But this is like a Hollywood U-turn. Yeah. In terms of P.T. Barnum. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's it's like they've gone, oh, all that stuff. I mean, even the disaster artist was like, yeah, Tommy Wiseau's not a nice person. No. But there are things you can sympathise like about him and empathise with him. Yeah, I guess. But he's not a nice person. It's still a bit of a Hollywood ending, but that's the tone of this weird comedy movie. Not a nice guy. Great showman's like, yeah, we're all having fun. This is great. We're having <laughs> so much fun. Um, well, at the same time, Remember Me is amazing. And there's like five versions of it in Coco alone. So surely yes. that by law of average means... Just, it should, it should be... have all been Remember Me. Yeah. It should have been all the nominations. And um, it, oh my God, they should have accepted the award for it and then a bell fell on them. Yes. Yes, please. I don't wish them harm. I just think it would have been consistent. Yeah, totally consistent. Yeah. Uh, Ship of Water won for score and production design as well. Yay! Uh, Blade Runner 2049 won for cinematography, uh, cinematography and, and uh, visual effects. Which, well deserved. Stunning. Yeah. Absolutely and also, stunning. Roger Deakins finally wins an Oscar on his 14th nomination. Yeah. Not bad. 14th Not bad. nomination, man. Well, that Laura Average awesome. will get his second one. Posthumously. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> In many, many years. So yeah, if for people who like genre movies, it was a good award ceremony this year. Some genre, genre movies getting their dues. And also, even though it wasn't, I think it, it, I think it escaped the like nomination period actually, didn't it? But like, even though it won't be recognised till next year, if at all, hopefully it will because of genre movies being a little more like in the in the eye of the Academy now. Yes. It was nice to see that Black Panther dominated the carpet. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, yeah the stars yeah. of Black Panther were out and. 
all eyes were on them. Um, there's this wonderful moment where like Chadwick Boseman chants Wakanda forever uh, at the red carpet, man. and like the audience cheer and like all do the arm thing back, and I'm I'm looking at this footage going. Can I tell like twelve year old me that this is going to happen one day? This is going to happen. The Academy Awards, like the Oscars crowd, will not only know who Black Panther is, but will be delighted to see him, and will all be shouting Wakanda forever. <laughs> like, can we just be noise there for a second? Pretty fucking sweet. Holy! Did you see the Umbaku challenge on Twitter this week? No. Right. So some people started randomly posting bits of dialogue, like them performing like bits of dialogue from Black Panther, specifically Umbaku lines. Yeah. And the most common one was the whole Umbaku. Uh, what are you doing here? It is challenge day. Like his, his arrival <laughs> in the film. And it became a thing. Like Winston Duke saw some of them and retweeted them. Was like, this is hilarious because basically it was like it was mostly like um, African American audience members who were yeah. just like having a go at the accent, like the really thick, you know, the accent yeah. he's got, and it's brilliant. And then more and more people kept doing it. And the last one was amazing. The last one was a complete recreation of about two minutes of that sequence performed by a small kid. Shot separate, each character shot separately. They did uh, who? Oh, who's Forrest Whitaker's character? Um, Uri. Zuri. Zuri. Zuri, Mbaku, and T'Challa. Wakanda Obi Wan. Priestman. Yeah, Priestman. <laughs> Priestman. Mbaku <laughs> um, um, and T'Challa. And they had like different costume and makeup for each bit. And it's like, well, they won. They obviously just won this Mbaku challenge. Yeah. But again, going back to what I said a couple of weeks ago, we're in a world where people know who Mbaku is. And he's become a worldwide meme. <laughs> He does have some of the best lines in that movie, to be fair. He does. Are you done? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're vegetarians. Uh, <laughs> that was great. That was so good. Uh, so. Spice <laughs> says it so sincerely. It's like, he's not even screwing with them uh, with that bit of information. That's completely true. Yeah. It's like, no, don't worry. I'm not going to eat. We're vegetarian. It's like, oh. Oh, okay. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, still frightened of you. Uh, seven yeah, tall, he is a scary man. Giant, um, like, ape god-worshipping warrior king. Yeah. <laughs> like, you could crack my skull with your thighs. <laughs> so, please don't do that. Um, oh. So, a while back, <laughs> yes. I came up with the idea oh. that, uh, since they're not going to release them, because you can't upscale them, yeah. BBC should start releasing complete seasons of classic Doctor Who. Because they're not going to be in proper high definition. No, no, no. On Blu-ray. Yes, yes, yes. Because they can do them on less discs. Oh, yes. Well, BBC, where's my money? Yeah, Because that's trickers. just what you're doing. It's happening. This week, in fact, today, I think, was the confirmation of the UK Yeah, it's version. been rumoured for ages. And then uh, we're recording it on, um, what is it, Wednesday the 7th. Wednesday the 7th. Uh, as of yesterday, Tuesday the 6th, it got out that a box set is happening yeah, and yeah. the American pre-order went up. And uh, today, the UK one was confirmed. The current cover that we're all seeing is apparently a limited edition cover. Yeah, I've seen it listed with limited edition. So another design will be coming around at some point, and yeah. it will possibly be cheaper as well because it's not limited edition. And that's probably the one I'll get. Yeah, considering a logo consistency would be nice because this one's got the brand new logo on it, which would be fine if Ooh, they plan to use that. Yes. If they plan to use that for the remainder of the releases, but of course they won't. Because. And there's a reason why they've stuck to the TV movie slash Pertwee logo for so long as like a base or whatever. Which season is it, Matt? Which season of Doctor Who are they going, all right, here's your first Blu-ray box set, well, lovers? Well, they're doing the logical thing and starting at the beginning of Tom Baker's run with Series 12. I mean, we, we jest, but that is 
I mean, straight up the most logical yeah, choice. Like, <laughs> in terms of like bangers of classic Doctor Who, you're talking fucking and robot. <laughs> I like robot and I will fight you. All right, kettle. I don't think it's very good. All right, good. kettle well step I down. don't think it's very good, but I like it. It is fun. Uh, it's camp as sin. You got fucking... It's got a great first episode as well. Oh yeah. Like yeah, watching yeah, yeah. Well, I mean Tom Baker's mad um, anyway, but watching him post regeneration for 25 minutes yeah, is frightening. He's pretty nuts. Oh um, my god. So you got that. You got robot for the doctor. Quick quick quick. Uh, <laughs> the entire scene with Harry's that, weird. Dark in space. Dark in space, yeah. Uh, Indomitable. Box that choice. Uh, the Sontaran experiment. Sontaran experiment. Uh, Genesis, Genesis of the Daleks. And, and uh, Revenge, Revenge of Cybermen. Cybermen. Stone Cold classics, all of them. <laughs> One and all. Especially Arc... I mean, what's the best that season? I mean, Genesis. Arc space. I meant to Arc say Arc space. space, yeah. <laughs> um, I've still not watched it all the way. It's very good. I, I bought the special edition for my birthday last year. And it, was trans- I mean, it was transmitted it's got around some, the same time. It's got some dodgy special effects. But it's, oh, yeah. it's very good. That's so, the Wirren, isn't it? I'm kind of glad I've held <laughs> off on completing my DVD collection if this is going to be the thing going forward. I'm not, only because I've only got like six of them to get to finish it. Uh, I've got a lot more And I that. do kind of like the, the tacky charm of, um, of you know, the single the single also, sliver discs, but at the same time... If I only if I only ever end up buying like one or two of them, like I'm glad I'm going to have season 12, because that's like, I, yeah. like... In terms of like going back to my childhood and stuff, like season 12 and 13... Like those those first two Tom Baker seasons with, y- with Liz, him and Sarah yeah. Jane, just I mean that's that was my bread and butter. That's Doctor I mean? Who. That's Doctor Who to me. In fact, um, those two years are probably the most Doctor Who as far as like condensing it worldwide ever. Yeah, was, in terms of in terms of the, the public's idea of classic Doctor Who outside of the old jokes about wobbly sets and cardboard monsters, mm. that's what people think of. They think of Tom and his long scarf and and Liz and. Just and the awesome. one story that they share with Cybermen, but everyone's always like, "Oh, with the Cybermen, the Cybermen." Like, it's not even the best Cyberman story, but by uh, God, they look good in that though. And I also, I like the look of the Revenge Cybermen when they're in the middle. Uh, I actually like the Revenge they're Cybermen. Gorgeous, got the big Earth shot, uh, big um, big uh, uh, invasion style heads. But then, like you can see them still slowly going toward like the Earthshock build, and they've got like they've yep. got the chest units, and oh, they look so good. I love their silver jackets it's where they break hands. <laughs> break hands. Um, oh god, my sky striker, <laughs> my glory. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now um, I can see people having beef with this. Why? Because there's been a big habit from BBC Worldwide and to entertain lately of new Doctor Who releases being. Yet again, a repackaged re-release of a previously released thing with either a new special feature or a new cover. Oh, yeah, because they've released everything. Yeah, well, yes, but in a way where it's almost like, huh, like, this, this? I mean, I'd rather you not force me to spend money on stuff I've already got, but my caveat to which is if they do this in the way they've been doing the new series Steelbooks, and it's like two a year, Hmm. it'll take a long time to complete a collection, yes, but that's also much more affordable for completionists, and it they have over they have added the bonus. To a collection. That's true, but I think that's fine, to be honest, because then it, it brings back the adventure that we've all been having with the DVD since 1999, which is slowly but surely building the collection. And now you can do it all over again in a condensed box with more stuff on less discs, and they've added two wonderful things to it. One. And this is the only one we know of so far, but they are doing remastered effects on Revenge of the Cybermen. 
so you have the option to watch it with remastered special effects. And I say, and I say, and I say, and that's always interesting. It should probably be an option. Yeah, no, no, they'll they'll definitely do it. If, they, they, if, they they're, if they're sensible, yeah. they'll they do it. They always have way. the original versions there for you. Yeah. Oh, apart from, I think it was the first release of the Five Doctors, they didn't do that. The, the first, it was one of the first BBC DVD releases. That was releases. the first one they did. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, was, it was like that, Blackadder the Third, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and Only Fools and Horses special, I think, with the original got, BBC DVDs. It, have, have you got it here? It's, uh, the, it's, the, in, the other, it's in the other room, oh, yeah. but yeah. It's, yeah. The, it's, the, it's the inconsistent case. Yeah, the one. Until they got the special edition movie. Which I've got up there, mostly for the hidden commentary. Um, which is, have you have you ever have you listened to it? Have you watched it with the hidden commentary? I don't think I've seen this. Before. I'm gonna have to lend it to you. There's a, an Easter egg. Uh, it's a commentary from I can't remember who who it is exactly, but two of the people on the panel are Phil Collinson and David Tennant. Oh, so it's been, oh. it, it was recorded during late 2009. So it was as they were wrapping up on like press and everything for for David's specials, they got together and recorded a fan wank commentary for the Five Doctors. Fantastic! <laughs> and it's really fun. Fantastic! I, 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 I've got the special edition of the Green Death as well simply because it's got the Sarah Jane Adventures Death of the Doctor in it on it as a special feature nice. and the option to watch it with a Katie Manning and Russell T Davies commentary also so it's the Green Death yes but that's what, <laughs> that's also another thing that's nice about this box set is they have included not a tiny insignificant amount of brand new special features yeah all the stuff from what we know all the stuff from the DVDs is coming over yeah um, all, all, all previous features there's like two new documentaries, an hour-long sit-down with Tom Baker, yeah. and to celebrate, I guess, the first DVD release and possibly the fact this might be the only time they can do this with him, maybe, considering hints he's given about his health over the last year, yeah. um, there's a big thing with him and some of the other actors just watching back clips from his his um, oh. his era. And I'm just getting his. So I think I think Guy said it. He, he would something like if you want to sit there and watch daft old man Tom Baker cackling away at himself on a telly, which let's face it, we all kind of do. Yeah. Then like, this then this would be worth picking up. It, mm, mm. That cover's nice as well. The only problem I have is the logo because you know that they won't keep that logo for all the releases. Yeah. And that would suck because it's on the spine. If it was just on the front, that wouldn't be as big a problem for me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, or if it's just... I just have the logo on the cardboard wraparound that it seems to have. I'm, I'm used to having inconsistent logo yeah. design because I've got a PS3 disc collection. Oh, good <laughs> Oh, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> I, even here, I'm looking at Power of the Daleks. I took the cardboard slipcase off of it. Yeah. Even underneath that, the first cover is one with Dalek font. Oh. And it's really annoying. I've not oh, opened no. it yet. I've not opened it yet to watch it. I hope that the reverse side has the... Oh, God. Nerds! Nerds, nerds, kids who sit in the back with no one to do their lab with the nerds. You know what you sound like when you say that. Bo Burnham by his album. What? You sound like Mark Wahlberg. That's the kind of thing Mark Wahlberg would say because he's a garbage person. Hey, hey, Mark Wahlberg, <laughs> a garbage person, a garbage person. Um, what? So yes, for a while. I am. No. For a while, it's been floating around. <laughs> Oh, that he wants to make a turn the swimming pool joke. That he wants to do a version of of the six million dollar man. Hey, where Mike he Wahlberg, is, Mike Wahlberg. Where he'll he do, is uh, the six, six million man. billion dollar man because of yeah. course it's adjusted for inflation. Well, I was going to say, didn't they um, change the name in all future media to just the Bionic Man? Yeah, <laughs> because obviously six million dollar man is not as impressive anymore. Yeah. Um, oh gold. He he's been shopping it around with Bob. With Bob Weinstein, so the not sex pest one. Yeah. Um, well, since yeah. since 2016, the shrewd um, businessman one. Uh, and the quote 
<laughs> the quote that Mark Wahlberg said is, he's not interested in most superhero projects because I don't care what it is, how much I'm getting paid, I'm not leaving my trailer in a cape. Oh. <laughs> hey, yeah, I, I don't like to make millions of dollars. Um, no. <laughs> I don't like to be idolized by children. No. No, forget that. So the date has been set for... Um, Ragnarok. May 31st, 2019. Oh, How wow. do you feel about the six million slash billion dollar man? I'll say if you're going to be as ridiculous as a billion, why don't you just make it trillion? Um, the six trillion dollar man. I... Uh, the six th- quadrillion dollar man. There is a story that could be told here. There definitely is. I just I just don't like Mark Wahlberg. Can we just tell new stories and cast likeable people? No. No. <laughs> Because this, imp- it is, this, is, this bit of news inspired me. <gasps> See, Christopher. What? To go um, out and buy a shovel. No. No. <laughs> Along, uh, this bit of <laughs> to news. To blow your legs off, and then we can rebuild them. No. Because we have the technology. This bit of news, and and something else that I did this week, inspired me to, to have a topic for this week's podcast, which is... Ketamine. The topic... That was what inspired you. The other thing that I was doing... Oh. Is... Segway. Um, is that I was... Watching the new season of The X-Files. Yes! On Channel 5. Now, those who follow the big damn work uh, know that Matthew... The big damn work. The big damn work. Matthew, you are indeed a big fan of The X-Files. I'm a big fan of The X-Files. One of our big damn love episodes. You watched the whole 26-episode season uh, on YouTube. The first first season of The X-Files. Yeah. And, you know, in some form or another... I'm going to do more X-Files stuff mm. in the future. It is, a, um, it is a great show. It's beloved for a reason. It is a great one show. One of the creepiest theme tunes in, in TV history. Well, the thing is, Chris... One good film? It's one not, not a good film? It's not a great show anymore. Oh. And it's not been a great show for a while. <laughs> so, so this... This came to mind. Um, franchises that need to stop. Mm. Or should have stopped a lot sooner than they did. I think this specifically tends to pertain to franchises that die or say goodnight, or yeah. take their bow. And are then revived after the fact. Yeah. Usually uh, long after the which fact. Which sometimes can work. Case in point, from a financial and mostly critical standpoint, Star Wars, returned in 2015, Yeah, was mostly praised. Although that, that could um, go either way depending on... And financially was a massive success. Yeah. That could go either way depending on how Solo turns out. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but so far we've had three entries and a bunch of new TV projects and for the most it's part been mostly, they've been very well received. Really good, yeah. um, and they've certainly made the money and their home name again, etc. <laughs> the Rocky movies were revived after a long gap. Rocky Balboa, Rocky Balboa was great. And Creed was brilliant. Creed was fantastic. Um, so uh, falls uh, Michael B. Jordan. Um, yeah. Sorry, Four Sticks, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. Sorry, no. Black Panther's Michael B. Jordan. Yeah! That's, that's the one. That's, that's right. History. That's the one in terms of films. Um, uh, and so, yeah, it, it can work. It it can work. But sometimes you just go, yeah, sit back down. So I mean, let's talk briefly about the X Files before we move let's, on to let's other things. Let's do it. For those who um, aren't familiar, give, give us a basic plot summary of what the X Files is slash was about. The X Files is because there might be. I know we have quite a lot of young listeners who might is. genuinely not know. Remember, this came out in the early nineties when, like, the wave of like ufology and and, and mm. alien close encounters and stuff was was, was quite was like, in a resurgence. Um, <laughs> exactly, creepy theme tune. Two FBI agents, Fox Mulder and Dana Scully. Fox Mulder is a um, 
uh, idealist, uh, steel-chinned hero with a loner loser who's shunned by the rest of the department and called spooky for his ideas about um, extraterrestrials and paranormal phenomenon, and he's convinced that his sister was abducted by aliens when they were children, and she's been missing ever since, and he's, and he's out to find the truth about her and the conspiracy and what's going on. And Dana Scully is assigned to... Um, "Quote unquote," debunk his work by providing reports, and it's always uh, I'm gonna pa- I'm gonna steal from Eddie Izzard for 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 this uh, explanation of, of nearly every episode of the X Files. Mm-hmm. Scully, there's 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 Martians with b- big elbows running around. No, Mulder, I don't believe there's Martians with big elbows running around. And then the end of the episode is Martians with big elbows running everywhere. <laughs> Pretty much, like. <laughs> something weird's going on. Mulder's like, it's this. And Scully's like, no, it's not that. There's no scientific explanation for that. There's no there's no rational backup for what you're saying. But no, it was actually that all along, mostly. Um, yeah, and the most part. It was one of those shows that... It, it was kind of instrumental in early 90s TV and it, the effect it had on shows going forward because mm. it, was, it was that thing of, here's a 20-episode season. There's going to be a bunch of these episodes that... Uh, carry an ongoing narrative forward and then weaved into that there's going to be these sort of Monster of the Week episodes mm. which is sort of standalone. Um, but you see the characters grow through that. Um, David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson star making roles for them. Loads of great guest performances from various episodes. Six really solid seasons. Mm. Like really good seasons. Season seven starts to go to shit. They resolve the... Um, the Samantha Mulder, his missing sister arc. Yeah. In just the worst way. Do you want, do you want me to explain it? How do you explain Give it? Give me the bullet points. So, yeah. The whole You've got series, that glint in your eye that says, I've got to get this off my chest. The whole series. <laughs> yeah. Mulder's like, oh, my, my sister. No, oh, the, oh, the, the, whole, the, whole se- yeah. the whole series. So this is built up over six to seven years worth of, yeah. of viewing. Yeah. It's like, my sister was taken by aliens. Um, and I, she was there was some conspiracy about it, and then later on you find out that uh, uh, Mulder's father was involved with the conspiracy, and he had to make a choice over whether Fox or Samantha was taken, and he chose Samantha. Um, and then she was taken and experimented on, and there's like fake outs of oh Samantha's back, but it's not really; it's an alien clone based on her DNA and, and whatever and whatever. So in season seven, you find out that. Samantha was abducted. Yes. By the government. Yes. To make it look like an alien abduction. Yes. And they did experiments on her. And she grew up mostly on a base. And then she escaped. And then she was picked up uh, and in a hospital. And then she disappeared from a hospital room. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what happened. You know why and how she disappeared from a hospital room? How? Aliens? Energy beings or walk-ins detected her vast suffering and transformed her into a being of pure light and energy so she could escape and, and, and live a life free from that. So angels, basically. Basically. Angels. Sci-fi and this, angels. This comes out of nowhere. You've been in pain. That reveal comes out of nowhere. Come with us, chum. And after that episode, <laughs> like the, the ongoing myth arc of the series mm. just drops off a fucking cliff. Ah. Like there's some there's still some decent episodes. Even in season eight and nine where uh, Duchovny bows out and, and Gillian Anderson sort of reduces her role and you get Robert Patrick and Annabeth Gish taking over as, as, as new agents on the on the files. I like both those actors and I like both those characters. I don't think that's the problem with the show going forward. It's that the myth arc is dog shit. 
Um, and there's still good episodes peppered throughout seasons eight and nine, but they're just so few and far between. Hmm. And then bring go to, I think it was the year before last, when they brought season 10 out, or the event series, as it was called at the time. But now they've done another event series, so I guess it has to be seasons 10 and 11. Um, and they only did six episodes for season 10. So yeah. you're thinking, oh, there's going to be a higher quality of uh, higher ratio of quality. To... Yeah, like there might it might be a complete arc, maybe a, maybe a monster of the week episode in the middle, just sort of give you a flavour of the old run. Nope. Oh, so Duchovny and Anderson are back. Yeah, and but it's like <laughs> it it just papers over what's happened in the intervening fifteen years or so. And like it just like oh this sort of this stuff has happened and these things have happened and and it's all a bit different now but they're F- but by the end of like the first couple of episodes it's like oh, they're FBI agents again and they're working on the X Files and they're partners they're also partners that uh, are they in a romantic relationship or are they not uh, have they got uh, they've got a, they had a child together but where's the child and what's going on where's the child where is the child um. <laughs> The season ten ended at there is one episode in uh, of the six in the tenth season, which is among the best episodes the show has ever had, Aye. and that's Mulder and Scully meet the Were Monster, and it's by Glenn Morgan, um, Darren Morgan and Glenn, no James Morgan and Glenn Wong. Darren Morgan produces. They're brothers. It's confusing, um, <clears throat> and it's and it's um, Reese Darby is right. the guest star in it. Okay, yeah. and it's and it's a it's a comedy. Uh, inflected Monster of the Week episode about um, a were-monster. Um, <laughs> and it's just fucking brilliant. It's really funny. Yeah. Uh, got some great stuff to say. Like, great scenes and stuff, great effects and great Does it almost feel like, a, oh, this is one that they probably wanted to do at some point. Yeah, kind of. Probably couldn't. It, it's very much... Either because of the budget or the effects of the time, whatever, and they've just yeah. gone, sod it. It's very much... Do it. We're back, let's do this one. It's very much in, in vain... In the vein of the tongue-in-cheek stuff, like um, War of the Coprophages or Jose Chung from Outer Space from season three, or um, uh, Bad Blood from season five, like that kind of, it's just a tongue-in-cheek approach. A tongue-in-cheek approach to the um, to the material, and it's also where you can see that Anderson and Duchovny are kind of enjoying themselves mm. because they have to make it kind of silly. <laughs> season ten ends on a cliffhanger, so this event season. Cock teases you at the end yeah. by going, hey, maybe more. When season 11 comes back, the way it resolves that cliffhanger. So straight off the back, like. It, it, it is ch- just the worst. Like, it's the sure, start of Sherlock yeah. series 2. Just like Moriarty just says, actually, no, let's not shoot them. I'll see you around. And then leaves. And you're like, oh. More like oh. the. More <laughs> right. like the uh, I'm going to think the way out of this then. The Sherlock, oh, actually, I'm drugged in on a plane. More along those lines, although I'm not going to get in because it's still quite recent. I'm not going to get into the yeah. things of it. Yeah. Um, again, there is an episode by James Morgan and Glenn Wong, in which is mostly comedic, um, and it's among the best episodes the show's ever had. Like, and it's sandwiched in the middle of the season. It's uh, called the Lost the Lost Art of Forehead Sweat. Yeah, and it's all and it's a uh, uh, it's a riff on the the uh, Mandela effect. And it's then the guest star in it is your, I can't remember the name of the actor, but he's the, you know those kind of funny videos with the what if Google was a person? Yes, it's, that guy is the guest in it. Oh yeah, I, I remember his name. He's, he's again, he's one of those actors who we seem to have got. Yeah. Oh, him. Yeah. yeah, he's fucking brilliant. And Duchovny and Anderson are clearly having a whale of a time. 
But the rest of the series so far has been like massively tonally inconsistent. Like this, the the most recent episode I've watched, which isn't the most recent episode that's been released. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm still a couple behind. But it's there's moments. There's got that moments of levity and comedy, and then like gut wrenchingly serious stuff about. Stuff about stuff that's going on with Mulder and Scully, and yeah. it just jumps back and forth. Man, it's just like the, the myth arc has gone so off the deep end and is so convoluted and so far from what it originally was and what was compelling about it that the thing that it's not the thing that people like about that show anymore, and it's not the thing that keeps people coming back to but that. They show focused anymore. on the wrong thing, yeah. but because Chris Carter's been in control of it the whole time, mm. like he's clearly the problem with that show. Yeah, like, it's, it's his baby. But because he has written, he's written all the myth arc stuff himself. But a lot of the best episodes in, in the back half of the series, uh, since you know series, uh, well, even more than that, since series three onwards, most of the best episodes that, are, that have not been myth arc episodes, they've been standalone episodes written by someone else that do something interesting. And there's not enough of that, and too much of this event series is like, oh, we're gonna wrap up the plot. What? plot there was no plot by the end of that show like by season nine the plot was non-existent <laughs> the truth is out there the last episode of season nine was called the truth in which no truth was revealed but no we had to go back to that well <laughs> and for so much of these new of these two new revival seasons <laughs> like david decovney and Gillian anderson just look bored yeah. when they, when they're like they signed up going, oh, go on, yeah. this will be cool. This will be and fun. Like, said like nine not... weeks production, we'll have a laugh. She's not coming back for another one. So they better not fucking end this on a cliffhanger. No, or they probably have, let's be honest. How many episodes is this series? Ten, I think. So six last time, ten this time. Yeah. Oh, God. And it's just, but it's... When, they, when they're engaged with it, they're great. Mm. But, there's so me- but there's so much of this new stuff that where they're clearly not engaged with it. And they're just like... Mm. So this feels like a, a failed resurrection then? Ultimately. It is a failed resurrection. Failed resurrection. So... And it's not the only one. No. There are many shows and movie franchises out there which decided to call it a day either because they'd run out of steam or because it was the right time to end it. Yeah. And yet, and still yet. come back. And yet, so are we going to take a dip a little I, toe? I'm going to dip a little well. toe into one that 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 just crushes my heart. Yes, it's not the one you're looking at. Oh, it's the one after that. Oh, okay. I love. He, I adore. He adores the Alien franchise. He does. I fucking adore it. That being said, they probably should have left it at Aliens. Now, because I, 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 I don't disagree. I like Alien 3 a lot, but mm. at best, <laughs> it, you're most charitable, depending on the cut of the film. The best possible cut of the film, and in your most charitable mood, you could at best describe it as a deeply flawed movie. Hmm. How many Deep years flawed. between Aliens and Alien 3? Uh, Aliens was 86. 86. Uh, Alien 3 was 93. Nine. Yeah, so seven years between. Yeah. I think that's more than enough of a gap to, to but it was, it it was as, a, as a dormant, if not dead, franchise that is then There was back. seven years between Alien and Aliens. Yeah, but that's also because there was no intention to turn Aliens into a series. Alien into a no, series no, of no. kind. Um, that's something that seems to happen a lot in the 80s. Demand for sequels stuck around yeah. for at least six years. To a point Ghostbusters where two, Gremlins two, those movies, other things beginning with G two. They just get so, <laughs> they just get so convoluted in the development. Like the one part of the reason Alien three is a 
Mess. Flawed movie. A mess. It's a shit show, guys. It it's is. Absolutely there is a show. lot to enjoy, but um, it's, it's not. And the David Fincher was disowned that movie for good reason. Um, like, it's because it, it was they, they, they spent so long developing it and changing this and changing that and redoing the script and redoing this. Mm. Like, they got to, when they started filming, the already sets were already built for a different version of the movie. Yeah, that they had to reuse. They'd already spent like something like six or seven million dollars on it before <laughs> they started rolling. Yeah, yeah, that's a retool, a lot. And then, uh, oh, it's not even Alien Three. They did another one. I think it was ninety eight or ninety nine was Alien Resurrection. Uh, ninety eight, I want to say. And it's yeah. you know, so less of a gap. Um, they bring, they fucking bring Ripley back from the dead, just like they bring the franchise back, and <laughs> uh, fucking. Joss Whedon script, interesting script, completely mishandled by Jean-Pierre Jeunet. He's a fucking gorgeous, makes gorgeous looking films. Mm. Like, and this film does, like, The Alien Resurrection looks, looks the bee's knees. It looks the dog's bollocks. Yeah, it, 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 like, it is, it is coppery and uncomfortable and gross looking. But, but like, hum- every shot is done in a way that, like, almost glorifies how dank and dreary yeah. everything looks. But, it, it's, it's like saying, make it look like a palace. But it just looks like a bunch of horrible corridors. But shoot it like it's a goddamn palace. I like don't, I don't know whether it looks it's... beautiful. It also looks horrible. But that's what the environment is. I don't know whether it was lost in translation. But <laughs> Jean Pierre Junet just completely misses the point of the humor in Joss Whedon's script. Like yeah. it's just, uh, yeah. and it just it just falls flat. Yeah. Then it goes down dormant again. Yes, and, and like, we all oh. thought, okay, good. And then we get Alien vs Predator and Alien vs Predator Two, and we can kind of ignore them. Because they're kind of their own thing. Well, they are now declared a non-canonical spin-off. Yeah. So let's ju- let's just sweep. <laughs> we'll probably talk about them another time in some other. Oh movies. yeah. Um... Oh, I've got lots to say about those movies. <laughs> some surprisingly um... positive things, but mostly, oh god, oh god. And then oh, god. in the mid two thousands, we get oh Ridley Scott and James Cameron want to work together on one, and Ridley Scott wants wants to come back to the franchise, and they want to do an Alien Five, and they're mm. going to go the Alien Home. And all this stuff goes round and round and round for years. <coughs> and then we get Prometheus. Yes. Which could have been a great movie. We were, all, we were all very excited for it. We heard it was an alien prequel. We went, oh my God, from Ridley yeah, Scott. Yeah. That sounds amazing. And then he went, it's not an alien prequel. And we saw the first trailers. And we all went, It's okay. an alien prequel. <laughs> wow. If I remember correctly, I think it was the second trailers that like showed some stuff where it was like, hang on. Yeah, this is an alien prequel. Yeah, but the first trailer, ah, the first trailer was presented like the alien trailer. It was the slow reveal of the title. And the sort of, of siren the- And all that. But it was like, okay, let's see what Sir Ridley's got up his sleeve. And it came out. It's a bit, bit naff, isn't it? I... Hate Prometheus, and again, like, it's not—it's not even the fact that it was that it's not the alien prequel people thought it was. Like, I'm yeah. fine with that. I'm fine it's, with it's that. Just... I'm fine with the story being told in that universe that has nothing to do with the events of the movie Alien. It's, I'm completely fine with it's that. It's just not very good. And again, rewrites. Mm-hmm. Ridley Scott changes his mind about this yeah. and this and that. Um, so that happens, and then he's like, "I want to do more alien movies. I want to—I want to bring—I want to do a sequel to Prometheus." Okay, I don't want to be an alien movie. I want it to be a sequel to Prometheus. <laughs> Alright. It's called Alien Covenant. Fuck. Alright. Trailers come out. Looks promising. Yeah. Movie comes out. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do the fingering. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. 
Like, <laughs> our thoughts on Alien Covenant have been documented and they're available for your listening pleasure. We will not toot our umbershaw anymore uh, on Alien Covenant, but, but I'll say You this. just glow, because this movie does. Oh! oh! Thank you and good night, everybody. I want to thank my guest tonight. We've had the wonderful uh, Paul Rubens. And um, let's go emails. And another person who's uh, <laughs> wanting to the cinema. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. The thing is, with those two movies, what makes them slightly more offensive, Prometheus and Alien Covenant, is they are both very well-made movies on a technical level. Like, yeah. they yeah. look well, gorgeous. No, they're and, well-made and... movies on a visual level. But yeah, te- well, yeah. But in terms of, like... Narrative oh. and editing oh, no, yeah. and structure. The skeleton of the it's film. A fucking mess. The skeleton of the film itself, like the thing that supports it, is how it looks, how it flows. Yeah, and that's there. And then you add the meat to it, like the stuff that will actually stay with you in terms of the story. Yeah, none of that works. It's all horribly yeah, like, yeah. sour. Because um, like Prometheus in particular has some amazing practical effects and puppetry work and, and sets. Oh yeah, some really gorgeous stuff. Yeah, and Alien Covenant has like. I think for the first like hour, I think the pacing is quite nice. It feels mm. like you're being led into something and that it's a trap. And you're like, okay, yeah. let's see where we're going. And then it decides to become an alien prequel outright instead of a sequel to the sort of prequel that we got the last time. But in a way that makes no sense in the context of Alien. Yeah. Or, or Prometheus, for that matter. Yeah. Hey, you see that mural in Prometheus? That's a xenomorph, isn't it? No, because David doesn't invent them till another, like, 20 years or whatever. So... Not sure how that's there. But Ridley wants to do another one. Yeah. Or two. And we lost... Now, we could possibly have had a non-botched resurrection here. See... With Neil Blomkamp's movie. Opinion and reports vary on how far along this project was. Like, whether there was even a full script for it or not. I know it got to the point where... It's Michael Bean, isn't it? Michael Bean Bean and Sigourney Weaver were spoken to and both were interested in what Blancamp pitched them. And they both publicly said that it was a great script. Yeah. But no version of that script has ever been released. And And maybe it's because Blancamp's holding it back because he still holds out hope, possibly. And I think Ridley Scott and James Cameron have both come out and said, no, there wasn't a finished script for it. Yeah, but that's an easier death knell to give it publicly than, oh, oh, that thing you all liked. Yeah, Yeah, no, we cancelled it. (laughs) <laughs> I'm I Ridley Scott. I'm pursuing my passion project for franchising one of my earlier movies. Why you've never done that before? And you have no. You clearly have no desire. To, I don't know. Right. I, so I saw a theory once online said he was. It's because he's getting older and he's questioning the nature of like where we come from and creation and his own like you know that you're on like individual purpose. So that's why he's decided to use those movies and as, you know a ve- what? as a vessel to tell those stories. That would be fine, but just yeah. like make Prometheus. Prometheus, don't try and shoe on it to be an alien prequel. Yeah. Even though it's re- heavily retooled from a script that was an alien prequel. Mm. But whatever. So yeah, <laughs> I think Alien should have just died a long died time. Died a long time. It ago. should have died and so you think what, what and it was it pains me to say that death, because I was, fucking love that what franchise. What was the death point? What where do you think it should have uh, retrospectively considering what you do get positively from the ones that have come since yeah. the second, where do you feel it should My, my I think end of three. My heart says three. Yeah. Although I do have a soft spot for resurrection. <laughs> Me too. My heart says it should have ended with three because it just ends on a perfect note. Yeah. Like, and it's sorrowful and sort of funereal. Um, you know, it ends with the death of Ripley and that. There's a way that movie, the closing shots of that movie with them shutting down the refinery and the the uh, the, the escape pod like signing with the log signing off. It, there's a reason why for the longest time it was called the Alien Trilogy. Yeah. Because that was it. That's yeah. the end of your story. Yeah. And, um, um, yeah. It's a shame, really. But it, it's a shame. So and happens. there's been loads of spin off stuff 
most of it's been shit. I've got one that isn't hotly debated to have been a bad resurrection of the franchise, but you can certainly see how things would have been possibly better and more finite had it ended where it was intended to. Tell me! Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy! Um, was intended to end in its fifth season. Minor spoilers for a 20-year-old yeah, TV Yeah, that would have been kids. great, wouldn't it? So Series 5 starts with a really campy, stupid episode, sort of on purpose. Buffy versus Dracula. We get a Dracula yeah. episode. It's camp. It's ridiculous. It's kind of stupid. It's the worst season opener, arguably, of Buffy, because you're like... It, it's fun, but it is like, wait, what? Why? And it's all in service of the last minute of footage. Because the last minute of footage, she gets back home and her baby sister, who did not exist for the previous four seasons, is suddenly a part of the show. Yeah. And the, the episode ends with like them both crying out to their mum because you know they've been told off. So like, mum, credits. And everyone's sat there going, what? Yeah. Series 5 carries on. Buffy suddenly has a younger sister, Dawn, who's apparently always been there. She's only like three years younger than her. We're all very confused. Has there ever been a, an example of a retcon on that scale in, on t- in live-action TV? Not that I can recall. Or, I mean, or, at, least, I mean, or at least not in a way where they where they it shakes the foundations a lot. Yeah. I mean, you've had minor things. Like, Scooby-Doo have always done the stuff where they're like, oh, Scrappy was with us then. It's like, no, yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. No, he believed wasn't. Yeah. But, like, you know, there's stuff like that. But I think this is the biggest example of a... Um, Holy shit! But then there's there's a reason for it. As series yeah, five yeah. goes on, they, we get glimmers of people who realise that Dawn isn't real. Like people are like you shouldn't be here, and it's like oh god, because they spend four or five episodes not acknowledging it at all, yeah. and you as the viewer are like, I don't understand what's happening. This is really annoying. What's going on? By episode three or four, you're like, it's kind of annoying, but she's she's playing this really well, and this is an interesting dynamic. And by like the sixth, seventh episode, you're like, okay, I kind of like this. I kind of like this. And then and a character I'll, comes in and suddenly reminds you, no, this isn't real. I'll also point out yeah. that either consciously on Joss Whedon's part or or, or just through osmosis of, of other media, yeah. Buffy is an excellent refinement of the previously mentioned X-Files, X-Files formula yes, of that story yeah. arc. But they, they interweave the story a lot more neatly with the Monster of the Week stuff. Yeah. You know, um, so that wouldn't be possible without the X-Files. Very true. Just saying. They found a different um, way for Monster of the Week. They found a different approach for Monster of the Week. Their Monster of the Week was about teenage problems turned physical. The things you wish you could punch. And yes. You just punch and beat to death. Actually made into a physical form where you can punch and beat it to death. If it doesn't kill you first. Um, but again, yeah, no, it's, it, Buffy totally owes a lot to the X-Files in terms of its format and, and, yeah. and, and the way the story is told. I think most TV does. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, arguably everything sort of post-95. Yeah. It is is in is in debt to the X Files in terms of its formula. Even modern Doctor Who, because yeah. modern Doctor Who took its formula from Buffy, which you know it's like there's this there's this it's a domino effect. Um, you know the truth is out there, and the truth is X Files started this shit. Yes. Um, <laughs> the but, truth is it should have stopped. So as the series goes on, you find there's a whole plot with a, a god, a god called Glory, and and reality has been shifted on purpose, and there's a key to un- like unlocking part of the universe and changing things, and la 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 la. Um, Sorry, <laughs> sorry. just a quickie. Luz just texted me to tell me that she couldn't find her keys and as she just left the house, she posted my keys back through the door. Oh, fantastic. So, may, have to, to go, may have to go in like an hour, everybody, just in case we're still here. We'll, to know. We'll, of course, we'll still be here in an hour. Of course we fucking will. Of course we will. This is us. Um, um, this is me. Oh, didn't win. Um, 
you find out that Glory, this this evil god who with the Legion of Minions and people who worship her and everything, like needs this thing known as the key to unlock the gateway that will basically finally bring utter hell to her. Like Earth will become hell. It will be- become this land, and she will rule over it because yeah. she like she brought it here and la 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 la. And the key was hidden in plain sight to stop her from ever finding it by the people who are the keepers of it. They decided the Slayer was the only person who could protect it, and so they gave her a sister. Because no matter how much they argue, no matter how much they piss each other off, an older sister will always defend the younger sister to the death. Well, that's like, the theory. Anyway. Is the theory that's why they? That's why. They, you know well, I mean? she will because she's noble and virtuous. Yeah, um, and can kick ass um, <laughs> with Mister Pointy. Uh, so they, you know, they that it's it's a great idea, but obviously for it to work, they couldn't just be like, "Here's a person, protect her." They had to make her care for her. Hence why they basically retconned the entire universe so that yeah. Dawn always existed. And that way also Glory doesn't know. Glory's got no indication that that's the key. There's several moments in the episodes throughout Series 5 where it's like they're in the room together and neither of them know their role in response to each other. And neither of them shut their mouth. Yeah, like... <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> the rocks are <laughs> The rocks are Um... You see, kids, once upon a time when it was the WWF, he was a wrestler. And he still is for SmackDown, I guess. And, like, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania. Point is, it's a great idea. And the series was meant to be the last. Spoiler alert for Buffy Season 5. The series ends with his outworks. The key is in relation to Dawn's blood. When, when, it's finally, when the gateway's finally opened, she is cut at the right time and is bled into this void which begins the process of opening the door opens this portal and everything's going to turn to shit. She's she's Ugh. now a Summers girl. She's she's Dawn Summers. I'm a Summers girl! So the theory is, to close it, you need to bleed her dry. Like, she needs to basically be slowly bled out over it until the, 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 like the void is opened. And then it's irreversible. But if you bleed her out completely whilst the process is still happening, it'll close the door. That's how it works. And the theory Buffy goes with is obviously she's Summers, she is of the same blood. So Buffy, in the end, spoilers, sacrifices herself, leaps into the pool, it closes. Buffy lets herself die, because obviously once she's in there, she's going to get immediately torn to pieces. Like, whatever it is, it's just going to consume a flame, light, whatever. Like, she's gone. Um, She sacrifices herself to save her sister. An eternity battling demons! (laughs) Without rest or respite! Not so much. You probably just leapt into hellfire, so I imagine you immediately burned out. But but that was the the intended end for the show. That was Joss Whedon, the showrunner's end for the show. That's what he wanted to do with it. And there's this beautiful monologue that's delivered in voiceover from like uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, like Buffy saying it to Dawn. Back when she cared. And then leaps in, but we see it like as voiceover over what she does next. And it's just like she's the only thing she has to do is live. Yeah. Like, that's all I want you to do, live for me. And it's like, oh my god, this is sweet as hell. The series ends with Buffy dying. Credits. During the production of Series 5, um, Buffy had moved... It was a 20th Century Fox show, but it had moved networks to the WB. And it was rating, like, gangbusters. Oh, it was doing yeah. so well. It was, like, the most watched, like, fantasy program, specifically with, like, teens, 20-somethings. Like, it was huge. And so Warner Brothers said to Joss Whedon, look, we want to, we want more. On the spot, we will give you a two-season order. You can have two more seasons immediately from us if you want it. And he mulled over it, 
and apparently after a little while decided, do you know what? Okay. Now there's there's some conflicting reports uh, over whether or not this is true, but some people said that he um, requested at least like a year's gap so that it could feel like it had gone and then come back. But no, part of the WB deal was, no, we want it now. Like we, we want it while it's hot. Yeah, like you've got the production team. We just need to basically reassign everyone and they can go straight back into working on it and get Series 6 on the go and blah, 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 blah. And the reason he said yes was because he was like, oh my God, there are stories I can tell. One of which is the starting arc of Series 6. That doesn't sound like Joss Whedon. No. Now, Series 6 yes. and Series 7 are good television. They are good... This is before we knew that he was a pig. Um, and again, this is talking about his creative endeavours. What he did out of hours is pretty gross. But anyway, he's run out of stories um, now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's weird, though, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the light is out. Um, heartbroken. Um, so, he had a story he could tell. Series 6 is a good series of television. Series 7 is a good series of television. But arguably they are nothing compared to the previous four to five seasons of the show. They have some really big standout doozies, much like the X-Files later seasons do. There are a couple where it's like, oh my God, that's incredible. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, I was just thinking oh, this sounds wonderful. familiar. <laughs> yeah. um, and the opening storyline that sort of sticks around for the first like five, six episodes of series six is great. The idea behind it. Yeah. It's the reason why he was like, okay, we can do this. Series six opens... With her friends still looking after Sunnydale, still killing vampires and stuff when they can, because they don't know where they don't know like who the Slayer. Is. I mean, technically the Slayer at this point, the way the Slayer thing works is when one Slayer dies, the next like potential she they're called activates. Activates. Uh, Buffy died in series one. Form of she was killed and resuscitated like within a, like minutes. Yeah, which is and how she just survives, which is why in series two Kendra. we meet Kendra. Yeah, yeah. Which is a great story, because it's like, wait, how can you be the Slayer? It's like, well, technically, you're dead. Like, you died, but somehow you've still got the, you've still got the, you've still got the abilities, but, like, it's it, it activated. Like, the, yeah. the curse that was originally put on us activated. I am now the Slayer. And then we lose Kendra in Series 2, and Faith becomes a cast member. So, Faith is the Slayer. But Faith isn't in Sunnydale. Sunnydale needs protecting. And the guys, of course, are mourning their friend. Like, she's their best mate. And, like, Willow and Xander and Anya and everybody, like, they're mourning her. Um, and so I can't remember what circumstance leads to it, but basically they find like the loophole and they, they resurrect her, Mm. like they bring her back. And it's the start of an arc for Willow that runs through series six. The idea that she's pushing magic too far, Yes, uh, which is a nice evolution for that character and works really well. Um, so they resurrect Buffy. And of course it's the first, it's like, what the hell's going on? Oh God, like you don't, you were not sure what's going on. And by the end of like episode two, it's like, okay, she's back. She's here. She's all right. She's going to be okay. She's a bit shaken, but she's going to be all right. And Buffy's not feeling particularly well in a way that's not articulated until episode seven of series six. Yeah. Um, which is where it's the infamous musical episode, yeah. Once More With Feeling, which again is stellar television. It's really entertaining. And it has aged very well, considering it's very kitsch. It's aged really well. And you mean I think you can say that for like ninety percent of Buffy, to be fair. Yeah. Oh no, but like this one in particular, I think this was oh, this, super this, kitsch, this yeah. was the start of the TV musical obsession that lasted for the rest of the two thousands, where every show was like, "Oh, we'll do a musical episode." Whether it makes Buff- sense Buffy or kicked, not. Yeah, Buffy kicked it off in two thousand two. Once more, feeling two thousand one, two thousand two, and um, it's the song's great, and the fact that Hinton Batil, you know, Broadway veteran, is cast as the villain works so well because it brings that element of class. And you've got Anthony Head and James Masters and Amber Benson, who are all amazing singers already. So it's like, yeah, this works, woohoo! But in that episode, people are compelled to confess things 
this curse, like this whole song and dance thing, people like you would in a musical. It's about driving the story forward and saying what's on your heart, you know, what's on your mind and, and, and you know, being Boots. true to each other and all that stuff. Bunnies, it must be bunnies or maybe midgets. Like, you, you know, you, you, you confess stuff in songs. <laughs> and in this episode, we find out why Buffy's suddenly so eager to get back into the fight and why she's sort of being a lot more reckless. She wants to die because her friends pulled her out of heaven. When, when she died at yeah. the end of series five, whatever afterlife she goes to, because the show's very like you know, it's it's non-religious. It's very yeah. it's a very atheist show, but it uses mythologies and religion as, as part of its, its structure. Whatever place she went to, whatever plane of existence her soul was in, was her heaven. She was happy. She wasn't suffering anymore. Mm-hmm. And her friends pulled her out of it. And they find out in this episode, and that's really shocking. And it's like, oh, God. And, of course, their relationship is fractured from that point on. Because she's like, I shouldn't hate you. You were doing, as far as you knew, the right thing. Yeah. But you took me from heaven. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, this isn't... And what follows is the stuff that doesn't work and that people have problems with. Yeah. She longs to feel again and feeling means forcing herself into a semi flip-flopping abusive relationship with Spike. Which essentially is her... Never quite sat right with me that. It's odd because she's on some level she's raping him. But it's consensual to a point it's only... He realizes later she's using his body for her own purposes, and yeah. she's she's getting him to fucking beat her around and everything on purpose because is she it, just wants to feel. She's fucking one of her worst yeah. enemies. It's an emotional abuse thing. But the thing is, he started to develop feelings for her, and when he realizes this, he's like, "You've just been using me. Like you've literally, you, I've just, I've just been a toy. That's all I've been." And then he starts to doubt who he is, and he nearly rapes her, but forcibly in one act. And then he realises that he's a monster, because he is a vampire, but like, he, he realises what he's doing, and he fucks off and he goes and gets a soul. And that starts other story stuff in series 7, where I was like, wait, what? And certain characters, it's like the script suddenly don't know what to do with them, and, and we kind of lose an element of the show, because Anthony Stewart Head was like, well, I thought we were done. Like, I, I, I've gone back to the UK, like, yeah. I'm doing other things. So he's in some of series 6, and then he's in some of series 7, and it's odd, because then episodes start to get not great. Yeah. Never, never dreadful. There's a couple of ones that could be considered drevel. Um, Clunkers. Yeah, uh, I think it's called Double Meat Palace. I, I think love I think it. that's the name. I love it. That one, so that much. that one gets a. That's in series seven when Buffy gets like a normal job brief. Or it might be series six, and it's the one where she works at a fast food restaurant. Yeah, yeah, I know it. And Very there's well. that woman with the thing in her head, the elderly lady, and it's because basically the whole episode's making you think there's a Silent Green thing happening. Yeah, and there isn't. There's just this creature that's disguised as an elderly lady who regularly goes there who's been eating the employees after yeah. hours. Coincidentally, it's there's a, there's a season six or season seven X-Files episode about yeah. a guy a guy who works in a fast food restaurant who eats brains. Because of, um, of course. The villains of series six are are both loved and hated by long-term fans of the show because one of them's a character that we'd grown to really like called Jonathan, who'd been in several episodes before. Oh, yes, the And then trio, had a wonderfully yeah. prominent role in a Series 4 episode called yeah. Superstar, which is, again, a retcon episode on purpose, and it's wonderful. Um, but, like, the villains for Series 6 are just three nerds who do a bit of black magic and tech stuff. 
And as enjoyable as the characters are, Warren had been in stories before. Andrew is in relatively... He's basically a new character for Series 6. The actor had yeah, popped yeah. up in the background and stuff in other episodes, but it was a new character. They are really beloved characters. But these are your villains? Yeah. Really? And then Series 7, the villain is interesting. It's the first evil, a villain from a Series 3 story, yeah. who takes the form of the dead, which is an excuse to bring back a bunch of actors. But for a lot of the series, it takes the form of Buffy. Which is nice from a performance perspective. We get to see Sam Shalgala like being a bit sinister. I'm evil. But it also feels really kind of really. So and you get all you the... just made her work like twice as hard, so we could just look at the same people in every shot. Like, and you get this all the potential odd. showing up, and you got a lot of which new which has some good stuff in there. But then it also mm-hmm. feels like the show's it feels like the show's testing grounds. It feels like it's going who do, who do you like? Because we'll do stuff with them later. It disinterested me to the point where yeah. I just stopped watching it and didn't yeah. finish it. Um, still not to this day. Willow gets into a relationship in Series 7, what feels very soon after the end, the tragic end of her previous relationship in Series 6, yeah. in a way that the character who she gets with, a character called Kennedy, is played very well by the actor who plays her. She's brilliant. But at the same time, you're like, this is too soon. Like, this feels odd. It almost feels like you're trying to wrap everything up for a happy ending, which is why Series 6 and 7 are weird. Yeah. Because they, there's a good reason. There's a good reason to start telling new stories that Joss came up with when he was given the opportunity. That first arc of series six is like, oh god, that's heavy. You can do a lot with that. But then it's also very clear in series seven that they were like, no, we're going to, we're definitely going to end it this time. Yeah. And you feel like everyone's being given happy endings, not like that, throughout series seven <laughs> in time, <laughs> in time for the end. Um. That being said, Chosen, the last episode, is one of the best finales of a, of a show that I've seen. I wouldn't know. I've never seen it. It's really good. It is a really good finale. Um, so, yeah, it's... I don't say I don't think this jumps into the same category as, say, Alien. No. But I can totally see why people are like, yeah, yeah. it should have died at Series 5 like Buffy did at the end of Series 5. See, I'm going to ask you something. Well, it's my favourite show, though, so I'm kind of biased. Even the terrible episodes I enjoy. I'm going to ask you something about this next franchise, about, as a fan of said franchise. Hit me with your rhythm stick. But as someone who has less experience with it than you. Oh, I think I know what this is. When do you think Saw should have ended? I knew you wanted to play a game. Um, Saw should have ended with Saw 3. Okay. Uh, first Saw is brilliant um, cop... It's basically it's a procedural cop film slash thriller with a heavy horror overtones. Yeah. It's, it's a horror film, but it, it, it's, a, it's a cop movie. I've, I've seen I've seen through it, till Saw 6, and it definitely disappears up its own mythological ass. Saw 6, ironically, is one of the better ones. I did not like Saw 6 at all. Yeah. Maybe Saw 6 is better now on reflection of 7, because 6 is where the second version of the story like works better, oh and then 7 wraps it up. See, I've already gone fucking yeah. cross-eyed. So, like... Saw, Saw is a brilliant standalone film with brilliant twist. It's, it's 7 meets Panic Room meets freaking like non-funny lethal weapon because Danny Glover's there and it's distracting like it's great Saw is brilliant and there's a reason why it was a hit it was low budget it was really surprising people hadn't seen anything kind of done that way before Um, brilliant Saw 2 the team behind Saw come back to tell you Saw 2 so it's Lee Wienall and James Wan and they have a clear vision and it works the stakes are upped we spend more time in active traps rather than in flashbacks Mm mm-hmm it's scary and it also makes the smart decision of having Tobin Bell be throughout the whole film because he doesn't feature in the first movie as, as John Kramer uh, slash the eponymous Jigsaw because he's only really a voice and a character you see in flashbacks without knowing who it is yet until the end yeah and then he makes an appearance at the very end of the movie Tobin Bell is a fantastic actor who has a brilliant command over uh, over a scene 
because he has a very eerie, quiet, like, um, almost, almost like, um, calming presence. But one that you're like, you're up to something. Yeah. I'll happily listen to you because it's quite nice to listen to you. But you, you, I've got a feeling you're going to tell me something I don't want to know. Mm. So they make the smart decision in the second film of having the cops find him right at the beginning. So the film is intercut between the people in the trap and Donnie Wahlberg's um, uh, police detective sat down with John Kramer as the police are there to detain him. But obviously they're trying to find out what's going on with the people in the current trap. If... Mark Wahlberg is the six billion dollar man. Donnie Wahlberg. Donnie Wahlberg is the four billion dollar man because Don- he's cheaper. Donnie Wahlberg. Donnie, no. <laughs> Donnie Wahlberg is the two ninety nine with any purchase. <laughs> oh God. Sawtooth's alright. He's, he's the one he's the one who in the trailer for his multi-million dollar franchise is like, guys, I think we gotta go, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, oh, he's, he's not god. quite Oh god. He's, he's, he's from that same obnoxious gene pool, but he's, oh. he's, he's not he's not he's not the best. Um So yeah, uh, but but like they make that smart decision. And then Saw Three is under different hands, but James Wan and Lee Ween all still have have like fingers in that pie and how that story goes and what's gonna happen with it. But are the fingers still attached? Oh Um and it ends in a nice little twist. And it's fine and it's great and it's interesting. But then the story carries on. Four is terrible. Five is terrible. Six, I promise you, I understand why you didn't like it, but I promise you six is the one that works out of the second part like there's a trilogy essentially and then a quadrilogy but the third part is also very key to events in the the next four as well i've gone fucking cross-eyed yeah so did they um and seven is not great but it's also very finite it's the franchise going look we've had seven halloweens of financial success let's call it a day let's just we're gonna end this now we're even gonna call it saw the final chapter on some home video releases Yes. Because later on, they were like, oh no, it's called Saw 3D, because it was released in 3D. Yes. It's Saw 3D. It's not Saw the Final Chapter, it's Saw 3D. So wh- why would you start calling it that? Uh, oh, no, because no, Lionsgate's no, no. still planned to do one at some point. Um, last year we got Jigsaw, which is arguably a spin-off? It, I mean, it's it's in the series, but it's it's not a follow-on. I've not seen it, so I know fuck all. It, uh, spoiler alert, turns out it's a prequel. Okay. It's actually a prequel to the series. Sure. And a sequel. Okay. It's done in a way where everything is... It's made for the audience who are watching it to have a reaction, not for the characters who are in it to have a reaction. The way the story's told, you think... I don't think that's a good way to tell a story. I don't know, but but then they work it into the twist. Because you watch it going, hang on, how is this happening? He's gone, and, and Detective Hoffman, who took over from him, is gone. Like, what's going on? And then at one point in the movie, the two characters who sort of survive what's going on are in a room. With the, that's their story, and the other story is the cops trying to track everything down, um, much like the first two. Yeah. Uh, John Kramer's there, and Jigsaw's there, and there's a scene with him, and of course everyone's watching it going, hang on, how is he alive? Oh my god, have they gone supernatural? And in the cop stuff, they've actually dug up his grave because like the media are going a bit weird about it, and they're like, yeah. right, we're going to dig him up to prove 
that there's not been any tricks. He didn't fake his death. Like, there was yeah. an autopsy, but if people yeah. want proof, we'll do it. And they dig up the coffin, and there's nothing in it. So, of course, you watching the movie are like, oh my god, are they actually going down the supernatural route? Or did he lay this out? Like, is he alive still? And it was all incredibly elaborate. Like, how did this happen? No. Turns out the cop stuff is happening present day. The trap stuff happened before the events of the first movie. Okay. And the film is edited in a way to make you think that that trap is going on at the same time. But really, it's the modus operandi to lead a certain person to do a certain thing. So they know about that trap. And then when they start seeing bodies showing up in the condition that they people were that were in that trap, he knows what to do and where to follow it. Okay. So it's like, okay, that's kind of clever, but I have no desire to rewatch this because the only good thing you brought to the table, the only good thing you had to convince us that this franchise needed to come back, despite having already murdered itself slowly over the course of four extra films, mm. the one thing you've got only works on the first viewing. Okay. <laughs> it's like, okay. so what was the point then? Like, you can still watch Saw knowing what the ending of Saw is and enjoy everything up to that ending. Yes. I've no desire to rewatch Jigsaw, and there's a reason 3D used to be the final chapter. Yes. Um, I've got a massive list here, but I yeah. want to get to the emails, so I'm not going yeah, to do Yeah, well, any... we've, we've had a few on, uh, yeah. a few on so, yeah. uh, thingy, so... I'll, I'm going to table some of these for another time, because yeah. there's some stuff we're talking about here, but what, 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 what are they sent us from Twitter? Over on the Twitter, I put out earlier today, as of the recording of this, on the 7th, the year yeah. of our Lord, um, what uh, TV or film series came back from the dead and sucked... And here's what you guys had to say. Uh, we've got this lovely one from um, Nick Brent at the Nick of It. Hello. Who says, the Rafe Fiennes Avengers movie. Oh, I've never seen it. I've seen, I remember seeing adverts for I've it. Seen it. Is it terrible? Oh, yeah. For those who don't know, the Avengers was a British TV series. It was about um, Agent St- uh, Steed and, and Peel. And it was it was a super sort of thrilling spy show that was also yeah. very tongue-in-cheek very it was british gentleman da- and sexy lady yeah cat like sexy cat suits yeah. and dapper dapper um like you know formal wear and it was a bit sci-fi wasn't it yeah. yeah imagine if kingsman wasn't filthy um and was made for tv in the 60s that's pretty much the avengers oh, okay yeah, yeah yeah it came that's back in the 90s as a film starring ray fines and uma thurman it's a reboot of the show, so it's not carrying it on. It's yeah. like it's like, oh, here's these characters meeting for the first is it time. All, oh, it's an origin story as well, of course. It's it an origin story. Yeah. It's cool. set in the nineties. Cool. Uh, Sean Connery's the villain. It's gash. Does he know he's the villain? It's dread. Probably not. It's dreadful. There is a scene where he and all of all of the evil people associated with him protect their identities in a big meeting in a secret location by all dressing in these giant teddy bear mascot suits. His plan. Now, keep in mind the show. Keep in mind the show could be campy, but it was still kind of suave. Yeah. His plan is to create a weather machine to control the weather and force countries to like sign treaties and stuff, holding them ransom with basically lightning and drought and stuff like that. Okay. There are robot bees, but not the interesting kind. Fuck off. Although, in response to Nick's tweet, Matt Holzman got in touch and said, but it did have the great Sean Connery line, John Steed, that's a horse's arse of a name. <laughs> I don't think that redeems the film's existence. <laughs> I don't think that even makes sense. But I like your, I like your optimism. Um, if, if you ever wanted to play a drinking game where you took a sip of water for every bad quickfire pun, 
you'd still be drunk and dead of kidney failure ten minutes in. <laughs> it's that free the moment Uma Thurman and Ray finds it together, their characters are just talking oh, in like no. suave flirty puns. Oh, it's no. nuts. Um Charlie Archer, hello, says the obvious one is Indiana Jones. Yeah. As far as film series go, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And he still and again Spielberg the last still wants crusade. to do another one. The last, the last crusade. crusade. They said it. The, the last, last crusade. crusade. And then Kingdom of the, the Crystal The last Soul. crusade. Then Kingdom of the Crystal. Kingdom I'm a double Crystal. agent, Jonesy. No, you're not. It's, Stop. What is it's, this? It is, as you quite rightly said. Space between space. Gosh. Yeah, it's true. Oh, Kingdom um, of the Crystal is awful. And, yeah, but Disney own it. Spielberg's involved. And Harrison has said he's doing it. It's this, this future movie. Yeah. Why? Because. Why? Indiana Jones. James Bond it. Merchandise James is not going to fucking sell itself. James Bond it. Well, I think they were going to do Tell that. Tell a story. They were planning to do that with... Um, Chris Pratt's name was bandied around a lot. I thought, well, they were planning to, they were planning that, to do Shia it LaBeouf, with Shia LaBeouf. As, as Mutt Jones. But as then they known. decided that was a fucking horrible idea because Shia LaBeouf is a crazy person. I would watch that movie if he was just sat in a room with a bag over <clears> his head that says, I am not a Jones. I am not a Jones. <laughs> What else came from the Twitter sphere? Um, Jordan Alexander says, 24 without Kiefer. Never watched 24 to begin with, so I can only imagine it got worse without the, the redeeming light of Kiefer Sutherland and his bug-eyed antics. He was off um, recasting someone else and ruining another oh, thing anyway, wasn't he? Um, but again, like I, I, to be honest, I've not watched 24 myself. There's not enough hours in the day. Um, <laughs> Fucking <laughs> <laughs> you bastard Ginger Lucas pointed out uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 2 uh, I wouldn't say that like Christmas Vacation was a franchise in itself but I, I guess that, National I Lampoon National is Lampoon, a franchise but also National Lampoon falls under that weird banner where like any comedy film from a certain period just had that strap to it in yeah. post-production uh, and to try and sell it but then he says also so is I'll always know what you did last summer you know we're going to get a long That's on the way, long and detailed um email correction about the history of the National Lampoon franchise now. You know that's coming, don't you? It's okay, Luke. It's fine. You don't have to. You don't have to. It's Instead, fine. send us a poem. Send us, Yeah, send us a poem. Send us a little poem. Nice. Send us a four-verse rhyming couplet about Randy Quaid. <laughs> how many... How many <laughs> Last Summer movies are there? I think it's the third. I know what you did last summer. I still know what you did last summer. I think I'll always know is the third one. Oh, yeah, it's on its way. It's a happening. Oh, God. We've got like six Final Destinations as well, didn't we? Yeah, I think it might have been seven in the end. Fuck Maybe. Uh, yeah, because they did the Fast and the Furious thing where the fourth one was just called The Final Destination. We've got... And then there was more. We've had ten Hellraisers as well. Oh, Jesus I'll Christ. get to that one another time. Oh, That's yes. That's an interesting That's an episode, and if ever there was yeah, one. Yeah. Uh, Elroy has recently tweeted, say, the Avengers didn't even bring back John Steed. What a load of crap. What so a guess load of bump. Guess you prefer the original. Uh, friend of the show, Charlie DeMilo. Yay! Whose face I like to gaze upon when I'm at the gym yeah. on, on the silent subtitled monitors. Because he's on Curry, not because he's, he's there. Not because I've read the CCTV. <laughs> yeah, like, I just like to look at you, Tony. <laughs> it's very distracting when I'm doing curls. Um, <laughs> says, first thought is Bionic Woman. Oh! Uh, yeah. uh, I've not seen that's the one with Michelle. What's her name? From, uh, Ryan, yeah. Think, yeah, Michelle Ryan. Michelle, oh, yes. Ryan. Michelle, there's an is alternate. That, the Michelle, there's an alternate is that what universe. It is? Michelle, there's an alternate universe where we got a really fun, campy Tomb Raider TV series starring her. Ryan. Okay, I yeah, would have watched yeah. the shit out of that. They should have used Planet of the Dead as a soft audition, given us two seasons. It could have become a cult favorite and a long lost, forgotten thing. But we all would have been like, 
yeah, that's kind of fun. She was interesting in it. Mm. But yeah, she starred in a TV show, Bionic Woman, which was a remake of Bionic Woman, which itself was a spin-off from The Six Million Dollar Man. And it fell flat on its ass. Was it one season? I think so. It was like one. It was like it was like one twenty-two episode order. It was like a full American. I season think it might have been a firefly situation where they didn't even get the full full yeah. one out. Because I remember it was it was one of those ones where it was like, hey, because it's a British star, we've managed to work something out. It's going out in America, and like ITV two were getting it the same week. You know, because <laughs> oh, no, remember there was a big the thing about it being like channel of ITV two. But it was that cool thing because she was she was from EastEnders, wasn't she? Yeah, I think so, so. It was that really cool thing of like, oh my god, like it's one from EastEnders is leading a big budget like. You know, Hollywood sci-fi TV show. This is really cool. And then it was shit. And then it was shit. I've never seen it. I've only heard terrible things about it. Yo, Charlie says, I can't speak as to the quality of the original run, the original run, so I don't know if that keeps in the spirit of the question, but the remake was ghastly. I think, I think bad things that come back even worse, I think that works. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's it's a good thing that, that became shit, then we're good. But if it's a bad thing that became even worse... Then I think that hues quite closely to the spirit of the Christian. Like Taco Bell. Let's get into emails. <laughs> or Chipotle. Let us go, John Spartan, to Taco Bell. <laughs> um, or Pizza Hut in the international version. Yes. I've only ever seen it with Taco Bell, though, so I don't know where those Pizza Hut versions are. Demolition Man we're talking about. Yeah, way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, yeah, yeah. Three shells, three shells. Um... um yeah, I've only ever seen it with Taco Bell, so I guess it must have been a home video thing. It was, it was always Taco Bell. It's probably the Gremlins two thing, like the home yeah. video version of the. I didn't see it in the cinema because it came out when I was young. Yeah. The Gremlins two was the interruption, where in the cinema it was a Hulk Hogan scene set in the cinema. See, I seen on... the Hulk Hogan version. Yeah, oh, that's the most common version. On uh, home video release initially and rental, it's the uh, screwed up tapings off TV, including a, a dubbed John Wayne movie with Gremlins in it. Okay. Then on the first like. And then on the second cassette release, it's the Hulk Hogan version, which, which people, is what I've seen. That's yeah, the version which I've people seen. got really confused about. So they're like, "Hang on, that was the cinema one. Why is this yeah, on here?" Yeah. And then on the DVD, they've obviously decided the Hulk Hogan sketch is better, so that's the one that's in the film. And in the deleted scenes, you can watch yeah, the alternate yeah. TV cut. Um, maybe it's like that with Demolition Man. Maybe it's just a case they went, oh, "Screw it!" Like the maybe the contract dispute or whatever was over by that point. They went, "Screw it!" Like, yeah. stick Pizza Hut in it. Well, it's because no one knows what Taco Bell is outside of outside is outside of America, except I do because the internet existed by then. Um, Taco Bell emails, uh, emails from Taco Bell. Dave Davidson sends hello. Hey, that guy off the telly. Mind telling the beard dude his opinion on the Last Jedi is wrong, and he should feel mildly subpar about it. Okay, thanks. Bye. Wow, um, Dave Davidson, I I can tell from your email that you are also not a fan of the Last Jedi. Um, that is fine. I'm not going to tell Matt that he's wrong for enjoying something that he enjoyed. I mean, he is wrong, but I'm not going to tell him he's wrong because he's a tall man with big hands and he could do some damage. He's got a lumberjack shirt on right now. He could probably cut me down. La, 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 I'm not listening. La, 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 I don't care. Fingers in my ears, <laughs> clenching my butt cheeks. I don't care because I'm not listening. Um, it's all right. I've got Star Wars Rebels. I'll be fine. It's okay. You can... <laughs> yeah. Opinions. Which has time travel now because, of course... Opinions. It's all fine. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> no one's is wrong unless you're a Nazi. Yay! Fuck Nazis. Um, Charlie! <laughs> not gently. Charlie, we're hearing from him again. Oh, um, Charlie. He says, Oi, oi, boys! <laughs> Sorry, this what? is not how Charlie speaks, but I'm going to do this voice. Go for it. 
Joss Whedon has reportedly left Batgirl. Yeah. In as many words as possible, what do you foresee next for Batgirl and, and, and for Whedon? Discuss worth 20 points. Oh, nice. Uh, we talked about this a bit last week. Yeah. But, but ruminating as far What's as the Batgirl franchise. Fr- Batgirl franchise. I... I hope it. I hope it happens. Mm. I hope they bring on one of one of the many female writers who've expressed an interest in doing it. Um, it could be a really, a really neat sort of Batman adjacent. Fran- it could do really well from being a female superhero movie. That's also got that Batman association. Um, and save you can some kind money. Of, and save some money. Use what. <clears throat> use surely some production and pre-pro that they already would have paid for and designs that they would have worked on and pick up another film that they've apparently dropped and do the Gotham City Sirens movie but make it a Batgirl movie with yeah. the Sirens as the villains. Oh, Birds of Prey. Do an ensemble female superhero movie. That would be very cool. No, Gotham City Sirens versus Batgirl and then the sequel's Birds of Prey. Okay. Build up to it. All right. That'd be awesome. But but like I, just that. Watch, I just want to watch Batgirl like a freaking yeah. pirouette kicking Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn in the face. That's what I would that like. That would be amazing. That's what I would like them to do. I would like them to... Whilst Catwoman's like, oh, I secretly told you where we were going to be so I, I, I'm not going to punch you but I'm also going to make it look good. That's kick, what kick, me, kick me in the kick me in the shin! That's what I'd like to happen. In terms of what's actually going to happen, yeah, what I think DC are just going to go back and forth, well, WB, are going to go back and forth on it until uh, no one cares anymore and then yeah. just let it die quietly. As for Joss um, Whedon, I think the logical step he should take with his career is either continue his political stuff that he's been diving more into. Yeah. Uh, like, go for that. Like, just basically helping with funds and campaigns that are yeah. trying to regain power for stuff that the um, the Republican governments have tinkered with that the Democrats try and hold on to. Like, focus on that because that's work that is, you know, good and, and important and prompts discussion and probably involves less extras and interns. Uh, so there's that. Uh, and just stick to writing scripts. I I'd think, happily still watch things written by Joss Whedon. I, I just think, I just don't want him to be helming giant things. Really, I anymore. think Joss Whedon's an interesting case because it's also because his work started to change over the years in a way that's not yeah. as fun anymore. And and also because yeah, he he's been there's some stuff that's been that's come out about his infidelities and things like that mm. and his attitude to women but he's not been like accused of being a rapist or, or no or, 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 not necessarily a, he's, he's just been a scumbag to his wife yeah and which, and is, not, which is not to say that that's a small thing but and like, that's it, shit yeah. but what, the reason there's been such a backlash against him is because he spent so much of his career sort of being a flag that, for feminism yeah. Yeah. so it's just I think being exposed as a bit of a hypocrite is, is gonna is, is kind of done him a fair bit of damage so I think I don't think we're going to hear much from Joss Whedon for a while hmm. I think I think he's I think he should take a back seat and just stay out of the public eye and work on whatever he needs to work on but write scripts yeah I don't, don't, don't I don't think right. that yeah also I think he's a better writer than he is a director anyway yeah but I, I, know, I know there's a lot of hardcore DCEU fans who would disagree but like if he wrote a couple of the DCEU movies guaranteed you would yeah. at least have some decent scripts yeah uh, that's if he's not run out of ideas, apparently. That being said, apparently, I've not read his Wonder Woman script, but apparently it's pretty gash. Yeah, weird that, isn't it? So, weird um, that, considering he championed for it for ages. And also, compare and contrast the way he... Uh, compare and contrast? Do I get points for that? Hey. Uh, compare and contrast the way that the Russo brothers handle Black Widow to the way that Joss Whedon handles Black Widow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I still don't... Specifically, Age of Ultron, I still don't see... I still don't see a solid issue the, with the what problem, happens with yeah, it, but I understand problem, yeah. why it, the problem it is not is an intent way, there. Yeah. The problem is in his execution, yeah, and that's absolutely. really what it comes yeah. down to. Yeah. Um, Avengers, yeah. not so, and Avengers, not so much of a problem because it's an ensemble movie, just juggling people and making people fit into place and everything. But yeah, yeah. all Age of Ultron is definitely the one where it's like, huh, interesting. 
because we just saw her two movies ago and she was utilised much better. Yeah. <laughs> Done a much better service than this. Um, Ginger Luke. Ginger Luke with his um, eyes and knees. We did wish you happy birthday last week. But happy birthday the last week. Email. Yes. Um, hello, I'm so happy because it's my birthday. Not now, not when you're reading this either, but when it comes out on iTunes. Well, for last week because, the, the, yeah. Time I, I travel had a good birthday. birthday. Anyway, uh, Ginger Luke trivia. My birthday is also my dad's birthday. Interesting. Uh, what's your most memorable birthday experience? Oh. I'm just having some friends round to my house to watch National Lampoon's Vacation. Uh, Chris, I would really love to come to your comedy night shows, but I'm merely 14. Are there any chances of it being let in if I turn up with a parent? I would love to come to your run of family shows, but I'm more interested in the production and behind-the-scenes side of children's entertainment, which I doubt will be discussed in that run of shows. Would you maybe consider doing shows for secondary schools, or either in person or via Skype or behind-the-scenes stuff? Weekly reminder, the producers. <laughs> yeah, we'll get you to watch the producers at some point. Yeah, some point. It is amazing. Hey, um, I... Uh, mm, yeah. As of the writing of your email, Luke, um, the Out of the Broom Cupboard shows at the Manchester Comedy Store, April 11th to May the 9th, five Wednesdays in a row, everybody. Come on down. Tickets available at the Comedy Store at slash Manchester. Yay. Uh, if you're a fan of big damn stuff especially, you should definitely come down. Um, hint, hint. Um, uh, which I need to talk to you more about, actually. But anyway, um, that was a bigger hint. If you're a fan of our stuff, come on down. Those are where the tickets are. As of the writing of your email... They are aimed squarely at 16 plus uh, age for entry, simply because yeah. the comedy store is a comedy club, and you know it, it's it's a, it's an evening aimed more at people studying. Like it's entertaining, so if you just want to hear stories about working yeah, kids yeah. TV, definitely come on down. But it's an evening. It's about stu- people. It's going to be more ideal for people studying performing arts, media studies, film studies, television production, broadcasting, etc. etc. We've, we've got a pretty big like media student. Um... Yeah, population in, in yeah. this part of Manchester. So it's it's kind of, it's very much we know our audience. Yeah, well, Chris knows his audience. I'd say we. I'm, I'm barely involved in this. <laughs> However, after much consideration and demand, yes, from a lot of people like yourself, aged fourteen, fifteen in particular, uh, who are basically like, yeah, I I want to come to this because I want to learn about it. The age has been shifted on the shows. Uh, as of, it should be up from Thursday the 8th, so by the time you're listening to this, uh, there will be a new £5 ticket available for 12 to 16 year olds. The condition is you have to come with an adult, so you need to get at least one adult and one child ticket. Um, the swearing will be toned down slightly in the event itself, but the context is still going to be the same, so it's not going to be... Uh, you know, uh, a comedy show aimed at kids. It is going to be what it was before, but we are just allowing those. Because I, yeah. I just, I, the more I thought about it, and the more demand we got for it, I had a chat with the guys at the comedy store, and they were like, "Yeah, we can make this work. Let's do this." Yeah. Uh, and, and I just, like, to I just thought back to me being that age. I was like, I would have loved to have come to stuff like that, so I can. Yeah, this is this yeah. is at the comedy store, but it's not a comedy show. Yeah, it will be it's funny. Gonna, it's going to be fun. It will be funny, it's, and, you know, and, but it's, and it's a bit bizarre. It's, but, uh, it is about. As you say, it's about the production and, and working in that environment. It's not; it's that first and fun second. It just happens to be the comedy store. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't, yeah, yeah. However, that's what you, if that's what you're coming for, that's you'll be you'll be good. If you are eleven, a why are you listening to this? It's yeah, an explicit. What the fuck are you doing? It's an explicit iTunes podcast. But B, uh, I'm looking for in the summer to be putting on a slightly more uh, kid oriented version. That's a bit more sort of workshop slash out of the broom cupboard. Yeah. Uh, that would come to smaller theatre and family venues in the summertime. So if you do have like younger siblings who you think would be interested in this stuff, but obviously can't come because they're under the age of 12, 
then don't worry, they might get their chance as well later. I'm already talking to uh, the current lineup of guests about doing more shows in different locations. I'm talking about a couple of venues. I've been talking to other guests. I've got names who have said yes to it who I wish I could tell you, but I won't until there's official dates. Um, so, yeah, this isn't the, this is, this is just the beginning for the Out of the Broom Cupboard experiment. But what I will stress is this. Even if it's a bit of a trek to Manchester, but you want to see those five guests, and you can make it, it's just a bit of a, like, it's an extra half hour than you'd like to be driving on a Wednesday, please still come along. You don't have to, but please still do. Because the success of these shows, like, if the tickets do well and the response is nice, will help sell it to other venues much easier. Um, the concept already does get the ears and conversation, you know, the ears of and the conversation flowing of certain venues and owners of places. But even so, numbers are always better. So if I can turn around to a theatre near you where you'd much prefer to come and see it and say, hey, here's how it did. Here's the response to it. Yeah. They would go, oh, great. Yeah. Let's fit you in. Let's make this work. So interest is good. Yeah. Money's better. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's, it's, it is the bottom line. So basically, if these five shows do well, it is instant, instant, like, chain reaction to it definitely happening elsewhere, which is the plan. If they don't do too well, it's going to take more work to get that done, and then you won't get the versions around the country. So if you're like, say, you know, like a, an hour and a half drive away from Manchester, I totally, <clears throat> say, I totally recommend just taking that extra bit of time because I'll give you a massive hug after the show to thank you for taking the time to come down. Don't hold me to that. Don't hold me to that. I'll hold you. <laughs> I shan't. I'll uh, high five you from a distance behind perspex. We are all about personal space. Yeah. Get out of my personal space. <laughs> This is my personal space. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, um, so yeah, uh, yeah. Comedystore.co.uk/slash/Manchester. Out of the room covered. Come along, everybody. It'll be great. Memorable birthday experience. I'm trying to think of big positive ones. I always remember the crap ones. I, well, I turned thirty a couple of months back, and I was wankered. You were. So that was pretty good fun. You were. That was a lovely. Party, that was a really. Man. That was like fun. a really nice, just like intimate but mad. Everything evening. was so fun. It was great. It was. Yes. Oh, it was really nice. It was good. Um, God, you got me into some ales that night. Oh. Your, dad, your dad especially. My God. Oh yes, My he God. loves it. Um, man, so, yeah. drink like a fish. That was, that was a really good one. Um. You got two cakes. I got two they cakes. They call you Jimmy Two Cakes. Jimmy Two Cakes. Oh, Jimmy Two Cakes. Eh? Yes. I want two next year and three the year after. <laughs> I always remember the crap ones, weirdly. Although I had a really I had a really nice surprise one about a terrible birthday memory. I had a really nice surprise one about five years ago that was like the first surprise birthday party that had ever happened to me. It really it was odd. Like I had a I think I had, it was a Saturday and I had some stuff to do in the morning and then Lou took me to the Trafford Tent and she was like, we need to go to the Trafford Tent to get some stuff. Yarp. I was like, oh, okay. And we, we this is like 2012, I think it was. No, 2013. So we went we went to the Trafford Tent and she was like, I just need to, at the time she worked at the Odeon and she was like, I just need to pop upstairs and, and see someone. I was like, oh God, right, fine. Ugh. Fine, whatever. Because okay. I, I just wanted to go home and chill out. And as we got up the escalator, there was like five or six friends at Laser Quest going, oh yeah, we've got two games booked, you're coming in. I was like, oh shit. Then we got back to the flat and there were more friends already waiting in the flat with a party. And it was lovely. And it was really weird. Apart from that, I just remember the negative shit. I had to share a birthday party with someone from primary school when I was like five at McDonald's. You know the one in um, 
sulfur in the sulfur I, I've been to a birthday party there when I was around the same age. Because uh, I don't know, I think it still has an upstairs. Yeah. But then it was like that balcony kind of thing, and it was yeah, a bit more, it was yeah. painted more the childish stuff yeah. that McDonald's don't do anymore because they're trying I mean, to look McDonald's trendy. cakes, McDonald's birthday cakes. Yeah, oh God, jeez. But it was a joint birthday party, and it was hit, It was on the day of his birthday. Mine was a few days later. Yeah. And because of that, I think someone got the wires crossed, either the parent that organised it or McDonald's. I was barely sort of acknowledged in terms of the stuff being brought in and everything. And I took it really hard. I was like, five. At five, you will, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, oh! And I remember like having a laugh, but getting home being really grumpy. Really grumpy. Well, you were five. Yeah. That happens. Oh, no, five weeks ago, this was. Oh, that's (laughs) right. Sure. Okay. Um, So, Monty sends... Still didn't get my McNuggets. Um, Hi, Chris and Matt! Hi, Um, Monty. I do like a bit of death <laughs> in TV and films. Oh, right. Um, okay. Especially when it's done well. So that's what my theming of most of the questions this week will be. Oh. Um, what are your thoughts on Tosh and Owen's death scenes in the Series 2 finale of Torchwood? Do you think they are effective? Do you think both of their characters went out at the right time? When Donna Noble reaches her rueful fate in Journey's End, I like that rueful. Mm. Uh, do you think she was a good way for her characters to leave the show, or do you think she should have flat out died because of the information overload in her head? What about when John Smith's life ends in order for the Doctor to return in the family of Blood Two Parter? What do you think of that scene where John realizes he has no other option to sacrifice his futile existence? Would you ever like to see a similar story to that done again in Doctor Who, where the Doctor must become human again for whatever reason? Human what again. setting would your human ideal human version again. of that story be in? Yours. Tom Monday! Rate every death ever in the history of Doctor Who. Go now! Oh, oh that caveman who gets his head bludgeoned in, that would good, wouldn't it? Yeah. And uh, that bloody, uh, the car or whatever it was, as he falls over a thing. Uh, oh, God. Um, so basically, I think this is Matt and Chris, two lifelong Doctor Who fans, reluctantly answer several Doctor Who questions. Ugh! Okay. Touch no death. Touch no death. Touch didn't watch it, don't, didn't care, I remember, still don't. I remember feeling genuinely kind of miffed, but it also felt right when I watched it. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. Like, this is a cool place to write them out. Do you, Even though it was Owen's second death that series, because he died. And then, and then was yeah, kind yeah. of brought back, but he was like, his body was slow, like very slowly de- decaying. He was essentially dead, yeah. but he was still piloting himself. And it was like, that led for some really interesting gross stuff. And also a terrible CGI death fight. Um, like a fight with death, really weird. Um, sure. And it's also it was also the the actual uh, end game of the whole thing that was in Sarah Jane Tortured Series One and Doctor Who. The whole idea of the dark, like there's nothing, the darkness, there's nothing yeah, out there. Yeah. Which in Series Four of Doctor Who turned out to be like a, a combination of the planets disappearing and the idea that things were being pulled away. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it, they, it was properly resolved in Tortured Series Two. The idea was just like, oh no, like a lot of people are due to die and death is waiting for them. Yeah, and on the other side, there is nothing. Yeah. You are awake. It is a black void. You feel pain. You hear suffering. You are alone and cold and scared. And there's something in the dark with you. And it's like, oh my god, Yay! that's horrifying. I hope Doctor Who never does something about the nature of death and seemingly existing after death. No, Please no, don't cremate no, me. No, don't no. cremate mm. me, Matt. Don't cremate me. Yeah, Tosh Noah's death's kind of cool. Um, was it for um, Don Noble? Don Noble. I think that's more tragic than her dying. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. we watched Donna grow and we love her. And then to have all that erased and reset and yeah. she's just... And she'll never know. Like, yeah. she'll never know what happens. She'll never know how tragic it is. But it's beautifully done when, like, Wilf says to her, like, but 
she's like she's she is gone like uh, she'll never know and we'll remember and Wilf says that and stuff and he has the chat with the doctor and the two of them sell how horribly tragic that is like this wonderful person like the freaking Oodsphere sings songs of Donna Noble and Oodsphere so I mean, like, all of this stuff it's like, all the amazing things she's done and it, it's like it never happened to her like it's like it never happened not like a because that's the second time that happened in Who isn't it with uh, Jamie and um, Jamie and Zoe, Zoe at the end of season six, six. yeah like they get put back in their own time period the war games and are made to forget they're just put back at the exact moment yeah. they joined his adventures yeah. And it's like, oh my god, that's horrible. Like, they don't remember. That's horrible. Except they um, do, because in Grant Morrison's The World Shapers comic, originally published oh. Doctor Who magazine, oh. the sick doctor goes back and picks up Jamie, who's been shunned by his community, because he remembers everything, and then he dies. Grant Morrison wrote for Doctor Who magazine yeah, for I'm a sure, little bit. I'm sure there's interesting stories to tell, but... No, I prefer the real thing. Yes. That's why the, that moment in the Five Doctors is lovely. It's like, oh my god, there they are. And then he's like, hang on, it can't be you. The Time Lords erased your memories of me. And they do that weird scream thing. They go, oh, they like fade away. Also, they t- we tick off those characters off the cameo list for the anniversary special and then we move on. Also, season 6B. <laughs> the season 6B theory. Yes. Not to be and... confused with actual season 6B from 2011. Yes. No one need to confuse that. Um, really um, confused. Yeah. Um, uh, John Smith, Family of Blood. Again, that's more tragic than than a character dying, dying. Yeah, like he's a whole new personality. Like he's he's, it's like it's like it's the, like a mini regeneration. It's like the Doctor's body is literally just the vessel, and a different soul is piloting it. Yeah, and that soul Intriguing. has to die for him to come back and save the day. Mm-hmm. And he's got a life and memories and a love, and he knows who he is after wondering who he is for so many years, and it's. It's oh god. Do we want to see that two parts great? Do we want to see the Doctor Who become human again? The Doctor Who. Do the, we Doctor want to see Who. the Doctor Who become the human Doctor again? Who character. The Doctor Who character. BBC TV's Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Do you, uh, no. no, no, I they've done that story. Yeah, done it. And also, it, it's that wonderful moment where, like, he's you know with the mini corporates with them. They've done the it twice because they've done it with and, the, the the meta crisis Doctor. Yeah. 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 Well, like when he's carrying in the ship and then he sort of stands up and he's like, wow, what you should have done. And you realise, yeah. oh my God, it's the Doctor. That's even more tragic because you realise we didn't see the end of the previous scene no. where John Smith obviously either like came to terms, like came to peace with the idea of his own existence ending or the Doctor forcibly came back somehow. Like, it's it's more the, more the former is what's insinuated. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's like, oh God, this is horrible. This is horrible. I like stuff like that. I think, I think, I think, because that's what is tragic about death. You lose a person, and what makes them who they are, yeah. like that's gone. Stuff sticks around. Things that your experiences and your time with them sticks around, and that's why when people say like, "I'll be in," "I'll be in your heart," or I'll you know, "I'll live that. on," like what they actually mean is like everything I've ever done and made you feel exists in you. That doesn't change. Yeah, yeah. You carry that on, um, but you're not going to have new experiences with that person. And in a kid's show, don't at me, that's a really tragic way of, of getting getting rid of characters yeah. you love. Yeah, Death yeah. is still a thing in the show, at least at that point. But to lose a character that way, you get the emotional impact of losing someone in real life in a way that kids will understand differently. And then when they have to, unfortunately, experience death in real life, like with other people, like family members, they'll be like, oh, this is what it meant. Yeah. And it might help them be ready for it. 
Got all sad there. What was the next question? <laughs> Dan Rowling sends, <laughs> what are the Cornetto films in order of your most favourite to least favourite and why? Uh, for me, it's Hot Fuzz, World's End, then Shaun of the Dead. So what's that? Least um, favourite to favourite? Favorite uh, most favourite to least favourite. Most favourite to least favourite. Uh, okay. I only know you've seen them because I saw Chris in that really cool t-shirt, but if you haven't, <laughs> Tit Biscuits. It is a cool t-shirt. I've seen World's End now! You've seen it? I knew I was holding the back this email. Yeah. Because we didn't get to it last week, so I watched World's End because it's on Netflix now. Nice! What do you think? It's really good. It's great, isn't it? It's, it's I- also really depressing. Yeah, for like, oh, Jesus. not not yeah. not in terms of where the story ends up. Like the ending is actually kind of upbeat, upbeat in a weird, in, in a weird sort of way, sci-fi but way. But it's everything leading up to that with um, just Gary's Gary, life yeah. and the way it's gone and stuff. And like, I spent the whole movie going, "Oh no!" no. You, you get to your late twenties and you suddenly realise, "Yeah, yeah, I I get this. Yeah. I completely understand this now." Oh God! Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's a hopeful story as yeah. well. Like, despite how he, you know, despite the journey he, he doesn't take, you know, in, in the years leading up to this story, like, and the things that he does instead of, like, going, the steps back he takes instead of the steps forward. Yeah. Like, it still ends the story with him doing the right stuff. Like, yeah. he, 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 do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's a story about purpose and, um, the futility of, of dreams and aspirations and it's depressing but it's also hilarious and it's very real and there's blue goo filled aliens with heads you can bash in with sinks but it's also I think technically the best movie again from like the effects standpoint and it's the most refined Edgar's direction is out of the three of them that's like because he'd done Scott Pilgrim so he tackled with yeah. like bigger visuals um, but I don't think it's the best though Hot Fuzz is still better Hot yeah. Fuzz is the best one I think your list is right, Dan. I, I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people would go Hot Fuzz best, Shaun of the Dead second, World's End third. But I, I, I love them all. There is not a bad film amongst them. If you have to rate them, I think you've got to rate them just on what sticks. And Hot Fuzz yeah. is... I mean, Hot Fuzz is like the perfect comedy action movie. Well, oh, it's so good. Because it's a brilliant action film and it's a brilliant comedy and it's a brilliant semi-horror movie and it just works so well. Shaun of the Dead is a massive, beautiful love letter to to that genre and those kind of stories, but told through a very British lens. And um, World's End is just technically a very well-made movie with a brilliant... I mean, they've all got great casts. Yeah. But that ensemble, think, like the, the drinking yeah. pie, is so good. And I think World's End works so well <laughs> because it's, all, it's so many of the faces you saw in, in the Shaun of the Dead couple, and Hot Fuzz. Yeah. But everyone has... Has become more is older and more experienced and yeah. knows their knows their craft better. Yeah. So they just come in. It's just a better movie I because mean, of that. You, you heard the stories of like they 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 worked out. They did physical uh, performance workshops to yeah. figure out the stages of drunkenness in a way that they could all kind of like they all like knew what it was like. Mark one to ten. Yeah. So they knew that like for this scene in the story they need to be at a seven. So they'd all do certain things to make sure that they were all on the same page when it came to how inebriated the characters were. Which is actually on the days they which were is actually vital to the plot. Yeah. Because it, 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 yeah. But again, how it's a little thing. Yeah. Like you could just show up and be like, "I'm back to drunk," and they were like, "No." It goes up a scale, yeah. a very specific way, and it dips here, and then it keeps going back up again. We have to make sure it's consistent. And so the they physically workshop drunkenness. The consistency <laughs> among the group is vital to a part of the narrative. Um, <clears throat> and, all, and also it plays with the roles you think you know. Like yeah. Once again, Peg is the lead, but Peg is now 
the hapless yeah. uh, buffoon who we learn there's a lot more of a tragic angle to it as it goes on. But like he's that character. Yeah. Whereas Nick Frost, who's been like you know the the, the lovable <laughs> the lovable c word in the first one, <laughs> and the can I get any of you? He's just he's just a bit of a loser. <laughs> and then in the second yeah. one, he's he's a he's a bit of a dork, but he's got good art. Like he's he's very much a cartoon character in Hot Fuzz. Yeah, do not judge Judy an executioner. Like <laughs> in the third one, he's suddenly playing the straightest of straight yeah. men, and he's great Ted, in it, and he's so good, he's really good. But it also plays with you because you're used to kind of these movies being very loosely connected through their themes and their casting, yeah. and suddenly in the last one, they're like. Oh, you think you know where we're going to go with those two? No, no, they're going to be very different. I want to see Nick Frost in more serious stuff, man. Me too. I do. Me too. I like it. I like it when he's in genre stuff. Yeah. Because I think he does very well with that. I mean, I've not seen um, Snow White and the Huntsman or whatever it is. Like, oh, oh no, he's, he's, like, he's in. He's in one of those. I think it's either that or it's either the Snow White and the Huntsman franchise or it's the Mirror Mirror one. He was yeah. the, he was the dwarves in that year where there were two Snow White movies, basically. Ah, uh, um, yes. I'm not saying even that, but like, I think it's Mirror Mirror. Things like Attack the Block. Yeah, it's like he yeah. he works so well in pieces <laughs> like that. Yeah, um, and it'd be really nice to uh, to see him in more stuff like that. Yeah, World's End's great, isn't it? Yeah, I freaking it's really love good. it. I love it. I just oh but god, I mean, it, it's um uh who's 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 our lead female Imogen Poops? I know it's uh, no um, Rosalind uh, Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike. Who's Imogen Poops? Not, not her. Not her. <laughs> um, I, knew, I knew it was an odd name. Um, I think I like Hot Fuzz the most. It's got something that the other two movies haven't got. A great big bushy beard! <laughs> oh, God. That's, tr- that's true as well. Because like, all of them have, have joint cast like trees going on. Yeah. But the second one, I think, has the most actors who are just in that one of the bunch yeah. as well. Like uh, like Jim Broadbent. The, mo- the most big name. And Timothy that, Dalton. Although, World Then Now's got Bronholm in it. It does have Bronholm. <laughs> you right there? You okay there? What goes on in this town is none of your business. As long as I'm living here... Then maybe you shouldn't be living here! You abandoned me, but I don't live here Um, oh wow. Daniel Potter sense. <laughs> It's a meme, look it up. Uh, good, e- good evening, big damn gentleman. Hello. I have decided to make one of my rare appearances in the emails to ask you <laughs> fine chaps for your opinions on Sandman. Oh. Neil Gaiman's comic Seerize. Mm, okay. Have either of you read any Sandman? If so, what did you think? Secondly, Neil Gaiman and DC announced a few days ago that they're starting the Sandman Universe, mm. written by different writers and overseen by Gaiman. What did you think about the idea of bringing back an old franchise or character and expanding <laughs> them into a bigger universe? What a beautiful um, accidental tie-in. Anyway, gents, keep up the good work. I've been around since episode one, and you just keep getting better. Au revoir, Daniel Potter at Lego Bookworm. Ah, cheers, champ. Wow, you've, you've stuck around for 89 episodes you of Porter nonsense. Poor sod. Um, <laughs> I've read about, th- I think I've read the first three or four volumes of Sandman. And it's, I, I, it's brilliant. Like, yeah. It's it's absolutely brilliant. I've just not got around to finishing it. I've not read any, man. This I've, I think volumes. I've got, I think I've got one in this room, probably somewhere. Season, well, there we are. I've got Sandman. Um, Preludes and Nocturnes. That's the one. That's the first volume, yeah. And I've not read that yet, but I shall. I shall get round to it. It's eventually. rather good. 
Um, it's very good. I do like to me some gaming. I wonder, based on the recent stuff with the Watchmen and the DC Universe, the fact they yeah. folded them in, I wonder if this is more a case of DC were like, right, this is working for us. We're going to take more of our... Sandman's um, in the main DC Universe. Yeah, but he's, he's Vertigo, isn't he? Yeah, but he's, yeah, he's yeah. part of the main DC Universe. Yeah. Sandman pops up in Grant Morrison's JLA. Yeah. Uh, well, it's Daniel Hall, who I assume is <laughs> not Morpheus... But is Sandman, so I assume something happens in that series yeah. where Daniel Hall takes over from Morpheus. But I he, don't know. I'm but he's, he's sort of in that like that roundabout. Yeah. In the Watchmen, like he's sort of seen as that like here's the DC universe, and we also have these guys. Yeah. Um, I so wonder. He's... I wonder if they were thinking like, oh, we're gonna yeah. let's do something with this. Hey, Neil Gaiman, do you want to do it? And Neil Gaiman's thinking, not really. He also, but I also up... don't want them to fuck it up. He also <laughs> pops up in Dark Knight's Metal. Oh, that's obviously on purpose. Sandman isn't is is is, mm. is a is a big part of Dark Knight's Metal, which has still got one more issue to go. So I'm interested to see how that wraps up. So that's obviously been done to tease this, then to test the waters for some people. I think Scott Snyder just wanted to use Sandman in something. I this do you know this reeks to uh, to me of it reeks to me of we're gonna do it no matter what Neil yeah. and Neil's gone right okay it's can like, I can I throw my two cents in? It's like before Watchmen, like yeah, they were gonna do that no matter what. Mm. Doesn't matter. If Alan Moore, uh, Alan Moore is remotely says paying attention to it, also because he doesn't own the fucking rights to it, which he's very bitter yeah. about, by the way. Yeah, um, but you you made it for a company, so yeah. yeah so that is unfortunately you know, how that uh, works. Neil Gaiman's pretty pretty cool about stuff like this, so yeah, it could be good. I'm not sure there's enough. I mean, I haven't read all of Sandman, so I'm not sure how they're going to fill out a whole universe. But I guess you've got you've got these seven endless, haven't you? So you've got like Dream, Desire, Destiny, Death, and whatever they are, whatever they all are. Um, so I guess you could kind of fill that out, and then the sort of Lucifer and the and the and, and hell and the demons and stuff like that. So I think it, I think you could go into some interesting places with it. Um, but yeah, Sandman and Hellblazer, uh, two series that I'm slowly working my way through, um, like British writers creating sort of horror-inflected stuff for Vertigo. Um, yeah, I just finished the fourth volume of the original Hellblazer run. It's very good. Um, so yeah, I should go back to Sandman. Catch up on that. Uh, thanks for your yeah. emails, guys. Um, tis, 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 tis nobler in the mind. Apologies for the slings and arrows of a large email session once every other episode. Yeah, apologies to those we didn't get to last week. But um, yeah, well, I just needed to go home and sleep because I was fucking knackered. As I believe you probably are right now, darling. I'm a bit knackered My now. God. I was up at, uh, it's what? It's ten past nine and I was up at four this morning. Do you want a belly rub? Uh, no, absolutely not. If you touch my belly, I will fart. Also, I've not eaten since, like, 11 o'clock. I'm going to go rub Matt's belly and feed him churros. In the meantime, you guys can get in touch with us, bigdamncontact at gmail.com, if you want to send emails in for us to read out next week. Uh, things are going to be a little skewiffy over the next couple of weeks, so if you want an email answered sharpish, then get it in before next week's episode to get it done in next week's episode. Of course, you can always keep in touch with us on Twitter, at bigdamncast. And the Big Damn channel on YouTube is where you can find all of our content, these podcasts, and any extra nonsense that may or may not show up on there in the near future. But before we leave, Matthew will end on this haiku to set you on your way. Syllables. There are 14. But I can't count. I've no idea if that was worth a syllable, though. Kiss me. Oh, 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 oh,